This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome, everybody, to You've Got to Be Kidding Me, episode number two, covering TNA Wrestling in July 2002. Joining me, as always, is my lovely Liam co-host, Liam. Liam, how are you doing? <laughs> lovely Liam co-host. As opposed to just regular co-host. You're like the top percentage of co-hosts I have named Liam. Wow, that is truly a remarkable feat. I'm a very good podcasting professional. I'm amped up. I'm ready to discuss some NWA TNA, specifically episode seven. So you, you'll be excited to talk about things in about, like, an hour and a half, probably. But isn't that the way with, like, every podcast? You leave all the good stuff to the end. Yeah. You see, you can say whatever you want at the end of, like, a two-hour podcast, because, like, only your diehards are listening at that stage, and no one will cancel you. Yeah, that's where all the racism and sexism comes out. Just like NWATNA, they waited for later <laughs> into the month to deliver most of their racism and sexism. There's actually not much racism on these shows, to be fair. Actually, no, there is. There's a whole character. <laughs> I was like, about there's a whole character based around it. <laughs> yeah. So, but like, there's not like like actual racism. There's a, just a character telling everybody they're racist, and he's right. And also, like, the entire fan base. How dare you cast aspersions about these people in Nashville? Uh, that wasn't just Nashville. No, these were all Nashville. No, it was just Nashville. As opposed to the first shows, which are Huntsville. Every show in July is in Nashville in two different buildings. But we'll talk about that in a moment. I was going to say, we're getting into the actual discussion of TNA way too early by our standards. Yes. Uh, first of all, I'd like to say thank you to everybody who said kind words about our first episode. We had tremendous feedback, Liam. Indeed. And any, you know, they say, any feedback is good feedback. Yeah, that's the Vince Russo philosophy. <laughs> if you get a response, that's all you need. Controversy creates cash. How dare you invoke a fraud on this podcast. I invoke a fraud every time I call you on Skype. That's entirely fair. <laughs> but yes, we had a lot of people say a lot of very nice things about our first episode. People seem to enjoy it. And a lot of people reached out either via Twitter or the Voices of Wrestling Discord to say very nice things about our debut episode. So hopefully we can live up to the hype, Liam. We won't immediately let people down with a stinker. No, this is going to be way better. You see, we'll have ironed out the kinks of the first episode and we're just delivering mm-hmm. high-class quality audio content at this stage. We've we've heard your feedback and we're taking it under consideration. Yeah, it's got it's all gone to our heads. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing one of those corporate speeches where it's like, we hear you, we listen to you, and we're going to learn to be better and to adapt to our current cultural environments. Also, shout out to our patrons, because I was slightly scared we'd have none, and we have more than none. So that's always a plus. <laughs> it's an impact plus. Uh, I see what you did there. I'm always scared to be like, hey, would you like to pay for things? And people are like, nah. And I'm like, oh, well, I get it. I understand. I'm sorry for even asking. Yeah, we would just silently phase out any mention of Patreon content. You literally go in and delete it off the episode. It was never there. And except for the watch-alongs, because they're actually really fun to do. Oh, well, there you go. If you would like to support us on Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash kiddingme, where you can get, as Liam mentioned, watch-alongs of a show each month. We watch NWATNA pay-per-view number five? Four. Four? Which one five. did we watch? Five. We watched five. Five. Four. Four. 
four. Four, four. I was right originally. Why would I ever doubt myself? I'm always right. Yeah, we watch four. You can also get written reviews of the shows. You can get our podcast notes. You can get our star rating spreadsheets. Plus a second series where we talk about the 2010 Monday Night War. The first episode is up where we're talking about January 4th, 2010, both Raw and Impact. Featuring the debut of Hulk Hogan, The Return of Bret Hart. So you can listen to that at patreon.com slash kidding me. And thank you to those who did support. Actually, we've gained a new patron since I last checked. So it's, it's, it's even better. Thank you, patrons. I guess this would be the appropriate time to say, like, sign up now? <laughs> yes, we would highly recommend sign up earlier in the month and then you'll get more bang for your buck, as to use a Young Bucks reference. Yeah, that's going to be our next series. Every Young Bucks match. Yeah, it's Young Bucks against Eric Young and Shark Boy. Young Bucks against Eric Bischoff. And who was he in that match with? I think it was Abyss. Young Bucks against all of the good wrestlers in TNA, like the Motor City Machine Guns. Mm, I don't know about those ones. I just want to see Jeremy Buck versus Max Buck. Oh, a classic four-minute television match. The dream match. Where they kind of hated each other, but then immediately became friends again. Well, ain't that just siblings? Yes, I suppose it is. You know what? You, you just you said that as an offhand comment, but I guess that is just siblings. Hmm. Oh, you can't. I was nodding then, so like as if I was like, yes, they can understand that I'm nodding currently to this. <laughs> yeah, doing visual bits on podcasts is always ideal. I think it helps portray the feeling that I'm trying to express. Mm. So, yes, we are covering July 2002, so that's uh, NWTNA's pay per views three through seven. There's five shows this month, as Liam was aghast to find <laughs> out. <laughs> uh, why? Why is there five in one month? That's the way the calendar fell, buddy. There were five Wednesdays in July. It's unfortunate for everyone. So we'll be covering all five of those pay-per-views and the broader themes coming out of them. Starting with, Liam, the official hiring of Vince Russo. Yay! You can tell, too. Like, like obviously, he had his fingerprints on the early episodes because he was, like, chipping in ideas and he was Jared's phone buddy. But, like, he's on board starting as of, I think it's July 10th. And... You can tell. You can certainly tell. I was going to say that makes sense because the first July Mm pay-per-view was kind of absent of bullshit. And even the the second one, which by all accounts he had very little input on, number four, and it's from five on that he starts having Mm. input. And four is probably the best of the bunch. It's the one we did the watch along. It's actually a very fun show, top to bottom. And then the bullshit starts coming in and you're like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. It's really funny because you can kind of tell, right? It's like... Four, and even I think five was like a little bit of it. And then it just kind of shot downhill real quickly. Because uh, the other point we'll talk about, they went broke. But we'll talk about that as well in a second. But Vince Russo, was a, he returned to the WWF in, the, in late J- June. And uh, it was very controversial. No one wanted him there. So he returned to WWF. There was rumors that he'd be like taking over on SmackDown. And he'd be head of creative. And that didn't happen. And he was very, very, very quickly downgraded to just a consultant where he would just chip in ideas and he would consult and he would read the scripts and he would watch the shows and then like, like critique them and offer notes uh, while sitting at home. So <laughs> he wasn't much a fan so of like that. So like what everyone else does for free on Twitter. Le- legitimately, it seems like a very good gig because uh, Jerry Jarrett wrote in his book, Jeff Calden advised that Vince Russo had declined his deal with WWE and come to work for us. WWE was offering him $125,000 per year to stay at home in Atlanta and watch the shows and serve as an advisor. Our offer is 100000 and come to work full time in Hendersonville. That's still so much money for fucking Vince Russo. I know, especially when you consider this company is broke which again we'll get it we'll get into in a second but this company is out of money and they're like 100 grand for Vince Russo so that makes sense right I mean yeah 
But it's very funny that he returned to WWF and was immediately gone. <laughs> it was like he was there for a week. He went to the offices like twice. Then he went home and he went back to TNA. It, it's kind of like, you know, the blueprint for the TNA WWE relationship moving forward, huh? Mm. And it's it's quite interesting that there was a, a note on the website that Jerry Jarrett basically had to justify this hire because no one wanted Vince Russo there. Jerry Jarrett mentioned in his book that, like, reaction to Vince Russo being hired was 95% negative. <laughs> so, like, there's a whole <laughs> paragraph on the website. It's like, look, Vince Russo, he did well in the WWF. And he did badly in WCW. But I, I, I talked to J.J. Dillon and I know why WCW went badly. So I understand it. And he deserves a shot. He's had one win and one loss, but the loss wasn't his fault. And I don't think Jerry actually believed this. If you read his book, I don't think he ever liked Vince Russo. I think he was hiring Jeff's friend. But fair play to him for getting out there and trying to make people not hate it. Are Jeff and Vince still cool with each other? Yeah. McMahon or Russo? <laughs> Russo. Yeah, Russo. Yeah, McMahon, not so much. Well, they're obviously cool enough to the fact that they employ him. Well, yeah, they're cool now, but it took a good, like, 15 years. How can you be friends with Vince Russo? Especially, like, if you've employed him in any way. Well, because when they worked together in WCW, Vince pushed him. So, so that, that does foster friendship. Yeah, sure. But then he had, like, 10 years of bad. So maybe that outweighs it, huh? Well, this wasn't in the 10 years of bad yet, though. This was only a year after WCW That's died. what I'm saying now. 2021. Jeff Jarrett, Vince Russo. Oh, do you think they're still pals now? I don't know. Yeah. I, I guess they're probably still friends. There's nothing that would make them not friendly. Besides the decade of terrible booking. Yeah, but like, I don't think Jeff is like, our friendship is over because he writes shitty angles. I don't know. I, I would end my friendships if they wrote shitty angles. It's like, how dare you be bad at creative in wrestling? Like, there's other reasons to hate Vince Russo. If you listen to all his podcast content, which, God forbid, why would you? But... Says we, podcast all-stars and kings. Yes, we are We are the arbitrators of good and bad podcasts. But yeah, Jeff Jarrett's like, you booked Jenna Maraska against Charmel. Friendship ended. Yeah, I mean... That would have been the last straw for me, sure. That's the point at which you will never talk to anybody again. Mm-hmm. Because everyone would have booked that match. We have Vinnie Roo in the fold, officially full-time. Another part of the reason Jerry Jarrett was okay with hiring him is, by all accounts, Jerry Jarrett was working very long days writing these shows. And he's like, I can't produce all these pre-tapes. I can't write all these shows. I do need extra help. And there's not a ton of qualified extra help in wrestling because... As illustrated in the history of wrestling, it's the same 10 people get these jobs over and over and over again. So people tend to fall back on the people they know, and they fell back on Vince Russo, who was also kind of already working for the company the whole time anyway. They should have hired five-year-old Liam Jones. Oh yeah, and he can... What, what would you have booked for TNA? You probably would have still been high on Malice. Yeah, well, as a kid, obviously, yeah. Five-year-old Liam? Really into colours, so probably... Rainbow Express! The Rainbow Express on top, yeah. Uh, and Jeff Jarrett with these very colourful pants. Oh, yeah, it was his blue combos. And I can't remember any other colours he wore in these shows other than the blue one, but I'm sure he wore other I think ones. he wore black, so that kind of falls out part. But I imagine very quickly he would have learnt what appeals to the Book of Man, so... Mm. Were you watching wrestling when you were five? Um, see, as I've mentioned before on other less successful podcasts of ours, I don't remember, like, my specific beginnings in wrestling i kind of just always knew about it mm. but if i had to think of like some of the earliest things i ever saw uh, 
probably would have been a couple years after this at this point. Like, I, I was, I have very vivid memories of early Victoria Stevie Richard stuff. Oh, of course. Which would have been 03? Yeah, so maybe just before I had started paying any attention. I could probably work it out via seeing when things started airing here and when. But, yeah, I don't, I don't really know. I've... I remember like, as a kid, I went to a wrestling store very, very young. So actually, no, I probably I probably knew what wrestling was, but maybe not what WWE was. Because mm. I, I don't think I started watching wrestling until I was like seven-ish. Because the show I remember most vividly is, is Summer of Slam 2000 as my earliest show. But I would have watched stuff before that. Because I remember Steve Blackman against Shane McMahon and Shane McMahon falling off stages. And I remember TLC. Or was it TLC? Yeah, it would have been TLC at that stage. So that's like the earliest I remember actively engaging with wrestling. But I'm sure I watched Bits and Bobs before that. You know, it's going to be really funny. What? 20 years from now when these kids have podcasts and they're like, I remember the first thing I saw in wrestling was The Fiend and The Fiendess. (laughs) No! And I was hooked from the beginning. (laughs) No! It's like the Alicia against Melina Fox, tough enough contestant, but it's going to be everybody. Yeah, but like, you know, everyone gets into it at a certain point, I suppose. It's going to be really interesting seeing the kids who see stuff like AEW for their first experience. Ah, good wrestling, yes. Yeah, it's going to be, like, that's going to be, like, we all think of the, like, the immediate reactions to having a major, like, a major wrestling company again, right? That isn't shit. Mm -hmm. And... But we don't think about the long-term repercussions of this, right? So it's going to be really interesting to see what those fans end up turning into uh, down the track. Because maybe, like, not my generation specific... Well, not my generation, because I was I was born in 97. So I guess, like, kids who were, like, 10 in 97, right? They would have seen more WCW than WWF here. Mm-hmm. WCW was bigger here. So they would have been big fans of Goldberg, but not Steve Austin. Probably. Because, like, I, because WCW toured here more. And if you ever talk to the older generation about wrestling, especially in Australia, that uh, they will more often than not bring up WCW as like their point of reference than they will WWF. That makes sense. Why they all do spears? <laughs> do they all do spears? Liam? Does everyone do a spear? I think everyone. I think everyone. Everyone who's into wrestling does a spear because it's the easiest thing to do and it's dope. To be fair, if you're thinking about influence, is WCW more influential than WWF in general? It's probably there's probably a, a case for it. When yeah, when you think of the wrestlers, people always cite as inspirations. It's always people like Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio, and you very rarely hear people being like, "Oh, you know, '98 Triple H is the guy I'm really trying to emulate here." You could also probably say like structurally too, like just from a show's like point of view, the like the idea of you know the cool heel like probably came from WCW right mm-hmm. that was kind of what the NWO were NWO peaked the highest and like I don't what was around first like heel Vince McMahon or heel WCW authority figure Vince <laughs> uh not Vince Eric uh it would have been Eric before Vince yeah Eric would have joined the NWO before Vince was like a full-on heel on television so you could kind of quote like you know heel authority figure comes from WCW as well which all bad things do trace back to Eric Bischoff so that makes sense yeah, so, you know, uh, there's definitely, there's probably a case for it that, like, wrestling today is more heavily based off WCW than it is WWE. And that could also be said, um, you know, just with the AEW influence as well. Oh, can it be said about the TNA influence, though? I don't know if it's, like, as big of a thing, but, like, TNA, like, TNA definitely does have an influence. And, uh, well, when you specifically look at the X Division, like, the Styles Daniels Joe generation probably were more influential than anything that happened to WWF at the time. Yeah. 
like to use cite a specific example, Will Ospreay. Like his inspiration is that era AJ Styles. So, mm. what does WWE have? And you're seeing more and more like tag teams come up and cite Motor City Machine Guns. The women, the women, a lot of them cite like the knockouts as you know. This is why I saw myself actually doing this as wrestling instead of as yeah. Uh, we'll talk about on these shows sex objects. Well, it's like you got to think about it. Like, if if they weren't watching like you know Japanese women's wrestling, they the the jump in quality was basically like leader Trish knockouts because mm. like that middle section wasn't really you know flourishing. You have to get the Gail Kim and Awesome Kong. Mm. It's an interesting uh, dynamic to think about. It's funny that we're like at that stage now. You know what I mean? Mm. Like we used to hear everyone have these discussions about. You know, earliest stuff, and then now it's it's starting to catch up. Where you're like, hmm, the Motor City Machine Guns probably are way more influential than people give them credit for. They sure are. Even if you take out the wrestling, just in terms of how they look, like everyone started dressing like the guns for like a decade. Everyone bites off AJ, and everyone bites off the guns, hmm. like look wise. People who bring back the AJ Styles like O two to O five look. The problem is like everyone jumped on the long tights AJ stuff. I know everyone wears AJ tights these days. I don't like the AJ tights that much. It's, well, especially his modern tights. I like his like O nine tights. Those are cool. I liked his tights for the most part up until like mid WWE stuff. Mm. Like his later WWE stuff is like pretty bad, but like SmackDown revival era AJ sure. So Vince Russo's back, as we were talking about. All his, all that comes with Vince Russo is also back, as we'll also talk about when we start talking about these shows. The other big talking point coming out of July 2002, before we get into talking show by show, is the fact that the company basically went broke. So they thought they were getting like 80,000 pay-per-view buys. The, the first show, they thought they did 80,000, they needed to do 50, that would have been a runaway success, making tons of money, everything is fine. Like, but WWE were like leaking out to the world. It's like there is not a hope they're getting eighty thousand. Like not a solitary hope in hell that eighty thousand people bought that show. Our sources are telling us it's closer to eighteen thousand, which would have been dramatically below what they needed. And it turns out WWE were right <laughs> because <laughs> there was an employee for TNA named Jay Haspin, who was basically their pay per view relations and marketing guy. So he would talk to in demand. He would talk to all the pay per view companies. And ensure that, you know, everything's running smoothly, they'd get all the promotional material, that all the deals were made, that, you know, TNA aired on the right night with the right content. And it went like, all that went smoothly. That was his job. Turns out, he wasn't doing it. Damn it, Hassman. <laughs> and he was, like, he was being paid six figures as well. This guy is being paid a six-figure salary, just like Vince Russo, and he utterly calamitously did not do his job it turned out all of his pay-per-view estimates were utterly made up uh, he he would fraud fraudulate fraudulate's not a word <laughs> is fraudulate a word liam fraudulent's a word i don't know if fraudulate's a word but he, he would he would manufacture uh, documents from in demand would, would, like he would print stuff out on their letterhead telling how many pay-per-view this seems they super got. illegal it is it's just full-on fraud because by all accounts he was basically working for WWE as well at the time so it was an utter conflict of interest <laughs> how does this happen <laughs> he was working for a marketing company that also worked for WWE so there's people that believe that either a it was like flat out sabotage on behalf of a guy who was also working for WWE or like less maliciously that it's a guy who just knew he had a marketing gig with WWE so did not care enough about trying with TNA even though they were paying him six figures someone 
clearly didn't do their due diligence ahead of time. But like he was working for the company since February. Like he was one of like the early employees. It was Team Sports, by the way, was the name of the company he was working for that was also working with WWE. So he was that, that was a full-on conflict of interest. He was forging documents that suggested they were doing better pay-per-view numbers than they did. Because at one stage, one of the in-demand people showed up to their, one of their shows and was like, oh, hey, you know, uh, we got these numbers from, from Jay. They're saying we got 80,000. It's like, we haven't talked to Jay in months. Jay, Jay's disappeared. He doesn't interact with us. And then they were like, well, what? Mm, that is definitely a red flag. Yeah, when the dude who's meant to be like your pay-per-view provider relations is not in fact talking to the pay-per-view providers. That's usually a thing that makes you think, oh, geez. Damn, Jay's at it again. Yeah, Jay uh, said, "There's like, oh, we're on Dish Network, we're on, we're on Cablevision, everything's fine." And it turns out they weren't. <laughs> so they didn't have the pay-per-view clearance they thought they had. They had all these press kits that were meant to go out that weren't sent out because he didn't do it. <laughs> like he didn't do anything he was being paid to do. <laughs> I hope they like sued this dude. We'll get into the. We'll talk about this more next month as well because they file a lawsuit in August. So we'll talk about the lawsuit against Jay Hasman next month. But we were simply talking about the incompetence of Jay Hasman on this episode. Jesus. So, so uh, Jerry, from Jerry Jarrett's book, by Hasman's numbers, we thought we had about 175,000 buys for the first three shows. Instead, In Demand is projecting us at about 50,000 buys for the three shows combined. So basically, the company went broke. Uh, they realized they were burning through cash at a rate they could not sustain. So they dramatically slashed costs. Because the first, the, this company started as like, we're going to tour city to city. We're going to bring the show on the road. We're going to try and get like three, 4,000 people in these buildings every week. Nope. Then they're like, all right, we're going to do a residency in Nashville. We're going to go to the municipal auditorium in Nashville, which was going to be called the TNA Dome. The Total Nonstop Action Dome. Yep, the TNA Dome. So we're going to go there. It's a big building. We'll get people in every week. Uh, we can have like this big scale. We'll look like a big major league presentation. And then it turned out after the Jay Hasman scandal, they were like, all right, we have no money. We cannot afford these big buildings. We cannot afford these bigger crews. We have to slash costs. We have to like dramatically scale back on everything. We have to cut the number of people we're booking. We have to do a lot to save money because we're going to go broke. And they cut it back. Jerry Jarrett says he wants to scale uh, operations back to under 30,000 per show, considering that it was at one stage projected to be about quarter of a million per show. That's a pretty dramatic cut down in costs. It's it's just funny that this could even occur, mm. but it's also somewhat impressive that they managed to like make it through this. Well, they didn't. But <laughs> there we go. <laughs> they did basically go broke, and they were bailed out by Panda. And if they weren't bought by Panda, the company would have closed in September. But we'll get into that when we get to September. But I suppose they did survive. Someone did buy the company. They did find new financing, and they did soldier on. But yeah, this was a point at which they were like, oh, geez, everything is going to shit. This is a disaster. Vince McMahon cackling in his throne. Because he called Jerry during this period trying to work out what was happening. And maybe he was, he's just like, hey, I'm going to rub it in because I'm sabotaging your company. Listen, pal. The week after TNA launched, Vince did his famous ruthless aggression promo. And they actually speculated, like Jerry in his book was sending copies of that promo to lawyers being like, he's actively saying on television he's trying to put us out of business. <laughs> he is using his monopoly power to take us down. 
Should have sued Vince. That would have bankrolled the company at least till September. <laughs> so yeah, the company moved from the, the municipal auditorium, the bigger building, to the Nashville Fairgrounds, which would be dubbed the Asylum, become the long-term home in the company for two years. Uh, it's not quite dubbed the Asylum yet. It'll be dubbed the Asylum in August. Sure looks like an asylum. That's the thing. The building, especially for the first week, because it's, it's pay-per-view number five that they're there first. The one with Red. No, it's is it six? It's the one with Red and Loki. Yeah, it's six. That's the show that they're in the, the, the asylum first, and it looks like a terrible building. It's, like, dark. You can clearly see the costs were cut. Like, Don West's pay was cut in half. Yeah, he couldn't afford those shirts anymore. Yeah, the audio quality is worse, the visual quality is worse, the stage is worse. You can actively just, because their first week in the fairgrounds, it just looks terrible. It looks grim. It feels like a company that's about to go out of business. And by all accounts, they spent the week like painting the place and trying to do it up and make it a little more respectable on pay-per-view by the Did time they, they like, got to number seven. buy the building or were they just like, hey, we need to renovate this building. Please let us renovate this building. They were, yeah, they were like, please let us renovate this building. I'm sure they were like, the owners of the building were like, wait, you want to do up our building and you're we're not going to pay for it yeah sure sure if you want to paint the building sure but they probably should have just like bought the building at that point that would have been too expensive maybe you would have saved on rent over time who knows the building yeah. probably wasn't expensive that rent any to rent anyway it looks like an independent it does go from like the first whatever it is five shows look like the real major league it, it it's a little dated in terms of how it looks it looks more like late 90s than 2000s if you compare it to like raw at the time it doesn't look like modern and cutting edge but at least in terms of like the size of the building and the scale of it it looks like major league it looks legit as opposed to when you get to the asylum it does look all a little bit grim and a little bit small and even the crowds are just kind of dead like there's the enthusiasm is kind of sapped out in the asylum for the first couple of weeks and it just feels like a company that's going nowhere at the time. It looks like it wouldn't have been completely out of the realm of possibility for like Ring of Honor or CZW to run this exact building. Mm-hmm. It probably would have looked like the lighting is probably above like Ring of Honor level, but just the visual aesthetic, not so much. Mm. So yeah, Jay Hasman screwed the company over. And th- I think the worst thing that happened, if you read an interview with the PW Torch, or Jerry Jarrett, it might be denial, it might be like delusion... But they kind of see this as a moment of false hope where it's like we were doing none of the marketing and promotions and we had none of the clearances we thought we had. And that's the reason that we have the bad pay-per-view numbers. Like they kind of like they think there's a little bit like, oh, you know, if we can get our marketing up to scratch, if we can get our our pay-per-view clearance up to scratch, we'll actually be able to do like a a kind of reboot. We'll be able to reintroduce ourselves to audiences and we'll we'll maybe be able to hit the number of like buys we need to to break even. So there's like this false hope that if they can get these things in order, that everything will be fine. And I think if you watch these shows, if you see the decline in attendance from the, the Huntsville shows to the, the Nashville shows to the Asylum shows, you can see that it's a company that's not hot whatsoever. It's a company that just did not find an audience at the beginning. And they maybe have some false hope that if they can get these things in order, they might find that for that audience. Do you think if they had have had all their ducks in a row ahead of that first episode, they would have come up with like a much stronger start and that would have sustained them to a, a longer extent? But they would have probably made more money. Like that first show probably would have been more successful. They would have been better marketed. More people would have bought it. But then I asked myself the question, would the people who then bought that first pay-per-view continue to buy the pay-per-views based on what they saw? And my answer would still probably be no. I was also thinking, as I was watching these shows, do you think a more modern subscription-based uh, payment schedule would have helped? 
Oh, 100%. If this company launched in 2015 and was just on streaming with 9.99 a month, it would have been a much like better financial investment or for for fans at least, you know, it's 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 10 bucks a month for four shows and we can subscribe and that's 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 what sustains a ton of indies these days that model that's what's the same WWE. How much were these pay-per-views at the time? 9.99. So that's the saying like if this had have launched 2002 mm-hmm. 10 bucks a month, you get four shows. Well, in 2002, the technology wasn't there to do that, but yes. I suppose. There's no way way to actually initiate reoccurring payments, is there? Well, I'm interested. Like, I don't think they ever did, like, a season pass. Or maybe they did. Maybe they did, like... I think they did do some, like, bulk buys. You can get some for cheaper or some stuff like that. Yeah. That's that's what, like, seems like the natural progression of this to me, is, like, if if we're not getting the buys that we want weekly, we might be able to increase that by offering us a price point. Well, what they did start doing was they started looking into trying to get some kind of syndicated television show as promotion. They did end up finding it. It's what uh, turned into Explosion. But they started looking for more of a marketing vehicle for it as opposed to trying to cut the price of the shows or do like mass discounts or or something like that. Like, I'm not sure what the pay-per-view technology was at the time. That You could, you could probably bulk buy no- a number of shows at once, but it's probably not sophisticated enough that you could be like, all right, you can pay $9.99 per show or you can give us 100 a year and you'll get all our shows. You'll get 52 shows for the price of 10, basically. I think a lot of people get their money in these, like, sort of uh, month-by-month systems by people who forget and they just have reoccurring payments. That's basically the backbone of all of streaming, yes. Yeah, so it's like, even if it was a $10, a $10 price point for four shows a month, you'd still have to have a way of people, like, actually getting onto their services and purchasing that $10 price point each month, mm-hmm. which is just not going to happen to the same sort of extent a reoccurring cycle would. I'm still paying for Crunchyroll from watching Naruto. That's what I'm saying. We're bringing it back. We're freaking paying for Crunchyroll for a year, and we haven't watched a single episode Coming of Naruto, soon Liam. soon to the Patreon. The Garuto watch-along. Yes. We'll talk about more more about Jay Hassman, I'd imagine, considerably going into the future, especially because the lawsuit is filed the next month. So they, they start suing each other and they start going to court. Jay Hassman tanked TNA. The first major heel. The reason it could work is because, like, pay-per-view numbers are famously slow to come in. You know, like, when, when someone buys a pay-per-view, by the time the company know exactly how many people have bought it, and by the time, like, people's credit cards have cleared and the money's been collected and the money's delivered, it's, like, three months down the line before anybody gets money out of the pay-per-view company from the pay-per-view they bought, which is actually probably, mm. that's what contributed to the death of ECW, where ECW had cash flow problems because they couldn't get their pay-per-view money fast enough, and they spent all their money, and when they bust them, when they went out of business, and we bought them. So the reason you could kind of get away with it is because there, there's not that instant feedback that there would be if it was, like, a digital online payment you know when you buy a pay-per-view through a, a, a digital service like a fight fight know exactly how many have they sold immediately because they see in real time you bought it you paid for it this is how many we sold as opposed to here it's like three months down the line before they have like firm figures about how many people bought these shows so Hasbro could kind of give them like you know these are our estimates these are our early like projections and he could spoof and get away with it and that's why it took the best part of a month to find out he was making shit up because this information does come in slowly, so it, it, his fraud at least was built on, you know, for foundations that he could get away with it for a while. It was built on a flawed system. Yeah, See, he exploited the system. That's how most, uh, you know, white-collar crime happens, though, isn't it? Yeah, and you could argue they probably should have, like, worked it out earlier, and maybe... The, but, like, you know, you have a guy who you're employing who's telling you that... Yeah, you're paying a guy six figures a year, you expect him to kind of deliver on his job. 
And by all accounts, he was faking emails and he was faking all kinds of stuff from in demand. So like, he, he was going to legs to, to do this. Yeah, it wasn't just like, I'm just going to like pretend this thing's happening when it isn't. Like, he was actively trying to deceive the company. Yeah, it's like forwarding emails that, that tell them about the buy rate and then in demand were like, we never sent that email. That's not from us. So what can you do at that stage, you know? This is all allegedly <laughs> yes, illegal. Yes, well, we'll talk about uh, what was decided in court over time. As this, these... Yes, but that's uh, next episode. So for this point, it is alleged yes. and allegedly, and we are all making jokes and none of this is real. <laughs> I don't think Jay Hasman cares about TNA anymore. How many? How much do you think Jay Hasman thinks about TNA? What's Jay Hasman up I to? I think... I I, maybe he needs to recoup those losses and come after our our big Patreon bucks. Oh no, and we ju- we just bragged about all the people who signed up. He knows we we we've got the money. <laughs> I know. I just bought my groceries. Yeah, you have to go to Patreon Patreon dot com slash kidding me to finance our legal fund against Jay Hasman. <laughs> Hasman versus Garrett and Jones coming soon. I like the way you use my first name and your last name. <laughs> Kidney and Jones. <laughs> I'm like Enya. I just go by Garrett. J and K. Uh, so yeah, those are the two like big stories. Companies broke, cutting costs. Uh, pay-per-view numbers aren't what they seemed. And Jay Hasman committing fraud. And Prince Russo's Legend. back in the fold officially. So those are the two like headline stories uh, from July 2002. And you know, for a tumultuous outside of the company, the on-air shows sure were stable. Sure were. Let's get into them. Starting with NWA TNA pay-per-view number three, July... 3rd, 2002, from the Municipal Auditorium in Nashville, Tennessee, with about 2,000 people in the building, about 1,100 of which were paid. Which is like, 1,100's not a bad crowd. Sure. I mean, yes, but considering what Gleet just did, yes. Very good a number of people. What did Gleet just do? <laughs> about 1,000. You know, that's a decent number these days, too. There's a pandemic still going on. Exactly. Getting 1,000 people in the door isn't the worst of the, the, these days. It was a sellout for the allocated seats. Mm. So this NWA TNA show end- opened with Jim Miller, NWA president, just randomly handing Mike Tanay a trophy and-, and mugging for the camera for a while. It's uh, the thank you Mike Tanay trophy. There should Actually, yes, I agree. Everyone should just hand Mike Tanay and Don West a trophy at the beginning of every show. Just, you know, yes. just to say thank you for their contributions to wrestling. Yeah, you know, Ed Ferrara too. <laughs> sure, yes, Ed, Ed, you get a trophy. You don't, yeah... <laughs> You know what? I'm really turning around on Ed Ferrara. The first episode, I hated him. And, like, he's, he's like a wart. He has quite literally grown on me. <laughs> well, he's only going to be here for a few more weeks. So No! Everyone I love leaves. <laughs> Especially in this next match. Uh, yes, AMW defeated the Johnsons in what I believe was the Johnsons' last match in TNA. They didn't do anything out of this, didn't they? Well, they haven't done anything in the... Yeah. The... The, the the next row of uh, shows. So yeah, this is the end of the Johnsons and TNA. Uh, Liam, tell me about the Johnsons run. How do you feel about it? One of the greatest runs <laughs> we've ever seen in the NWA TNA. They are objectively one of the best tag teams in TNA history at this point, just because there's so few tag teams. <laughs> They're better than AMW, I'll tell you that. How dare you? <laughs> in the, the month that I've seen them. <laughs> Besmirch the good names of James Storm and Chris Harris. In favour of the penis man. Yes. Is this the segment where the penis men broke up with Rob Naylor? Uh, it's, yes, it's it's Mortimer Plumtree, but yes, they, they abandoned Mortimer Plumtree and then left the company, I guess. Damn. Uh, clearly, he was the one who signed their contract to the NWA TNA. He's like, you leaving me? You leaving me? Fine. 
Yeah, you're leaving your job. This is a segment that I thought made no sense. So they have Jeff Jarrett, Scott Hall, Kate Rush, and, and Brian Christopher out there doing brawls, doing promos. They set up a match on the show. And, like, what sense does it make on a weekly pay-per-view to shoot an angle for a match later in that show? Get people hyped up. But, no... Do the match next week. The the way these should work is like all these angles should be angles shot for the following week. You should never shoot an angle for the same show because people have already bought it. This isn't television. Clearly no respect for the paying customer over here. It's literally just a structural thing where it's like if you're doing an angle for a match, the match you're doing should always be the following week. Garrett, like 10 people bought this show. They had to encourage them to stick around. No, they've already got their money. (laughs) Yeah, but they want to make sure they get their money next week, so they want to give them the best show possible each week. Yeah, and by by doing that, you, you ensure you get their money next week by shooting a hot angle for a match next week, not one a this week. A hot angle. Well, this wasn't a hot angle either way, so who cares? Maybe that's why they did it, because they knew this was a dog shit angle, and they're like, fuck it, it's, no one's going to buy anything because of it. But the, my point being, like, when you're thinking about the philosophy of doing pay-per-views every single week, a segment that sets up a main event on that show makes absolutely no sense. Listen, I don't know. I think they were just hoping to get through the show. <laughs> Which is yeah, legitimately probably what it was. It's just like, well, we have ten minutes left, let's just do an angle with the main eventers, that'll fill out, fill out the show. Mm. This has got to fill time. Chris Harris and James Storm were attacked. I wonder who did it. It was the hot shots, Liam, would you believe? Oh, damn it. I did know that. What a weird, like, setup and reveal where it's like, oh, these these big, strong tag team men have been attacked. And then you see it's like, oh, they just mentioned offhand in passing a few weeks later. It's like, oh, yeah, remember when they were attacked? It was the hot shots. I'm beginning to think that perhaps it wasn't originally the hot shots and then it was the hot shots. <laughs> Probably like, we were going to pay for a big tag team to come in and to set up this hot angle with AMW. What's that? We have no pay-per-view buys. I'm sorry. It's the hot shots. I wonder if it was going to be an unmasked The Johnsons. No, oh, maybe it was. Maybe they'd snapped. The Shane brothers were mm. coming in. <laughs> you never want The Johnsons to snap. Pretty uncomfortable anytime that happens. <laughs> <laughs> The alpha male Monty Brown made his debut. He defeated Anthony Ingram in a squash match. Yep, he has a Biss's music. He does. He has a Biss's music where it's like, do, 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 do. But also there's vocals over it that are like, Omega. They're kind of great though. I like the vocal version of the Abyss theme. It should, I, I insist that it should be Kenny Omega's current impact theme. <laughs> Why? The vocals of it are Omega over and over again. It's it's ah. it's sitting right there. It should be Kenny's theme. Why? But he's the alpha, he's not the omega. Yeah, it's, it's really, a, it's, it doesn't make any sense. It should be alpha. Na, na, yeah. na, na, My favorite na, part na. about this uh, match here is that like afterwards, Monty Brown's like, I'm going to be NWA champion. And then they never follow up on that at all. Well, he does like interrupt Ken Shamrock later in the show, doesn't he? Yeah, and then they never follow up on that at yeah, all. Yeah, he, he spins off into a feud against uh, Elix Skipper. And then Ron Killings. I don't think the Killings feud even goes anywhere. <laughs> Yeah, but it's the, it's the part in which I'm most caught up to, Garrett. All right. This era of Monty is actually weird. Because, like, he, he doesn't last very long, not to spoil it. But he, he's, he's around for a while, but they realize he's not quite ready. So they kick him away for, like, two years. But, like, he's still pretty good. He's still, like, wrecking fools. Yeah, and, like, he's, this is the problem with, like, this really, this early uh, TNA stuff is that... One week guys will be a heel and then the next week they'll just be faces. Mm. And like there's no clear direction on what 
any of these characters are supposed to be. Nobody on any of these shows is likable. Nobody. But it's also like, even if they are, they're likable for one week before they do something heinous. So it's like, you can't get attached to any of these characters. And it's so confusing because even like, heels will be like saying heel stuff and getting cheered. And then there'll be heels again. And then there'll be faces the week after. It's just, it's, there's no like structure to any of this. Like I think the 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 like clear illustration of that is all of the AJ Styles and Jerry Lynn stuff. Oh, we'll get to that. Or like I have no idea who's meant to be likable in that feud because Jerry Lynn is this bitter, grizzled veteran who's like AJ Styles doesn't know any better. He sucks. Who's beating up AJ Styles and jumping him from behind. But then AJ's also like a little turd who's like jumping Jerry from he like there's a segment where you Lynn is supposed to be the heel I think where he's like oh you don't know anything kid and then he turns his back and AJ jumps him from behind it's like who am I supposed to root for here I get that one a little bit but I think by the end of it it's very clear that like AJ's the heel mm. but it definitely doesn't start that way no what? and uh, trust me we'll get to the part where like they just make up all of a sudden and they're just besties it's very strange. Just all of it is just very, very, very strange. And I think you'll notice that like this dissension in heel and face structure really starts to rear its ugly head around the episode five mark. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as if perhaps some creative force started to move in. Rainbow Express defeated Apollo and Buff Bagwell. Afterwards, Buff is like, Buff is no longer the stuff. Buff is saying goodbye. Yeah, this was like the Vader, I'm a big fat piece of shit moment. Except in typical fashion, Buff is never seen again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is like, fine though. <laughs> it's the ultimate payoff. It's like, Buff is like, you know what? I'm not the stuff anymore. I don't think anybody likes me. I'm going away now. See ya. I'm Marcus. I'm not Buff. And then he just disappears. He's just gone. It's because they gave Sunny Siaki his gimmick like two weeks later. <laughs> That's true. Buff is Sunny Siaki is the true stuff, except when you can't hear him on commentary. Yeah, but it's kind of great. <laughs> the actual reason Buff left, because he signed a 12-year contract, or 12-year, jeez. <laughs> wow, they really invested, it's like uh, Undertaker in 2020. <laughs> gotta really invest in that, these young talents. Yeah, we gotta keep Buff around. No, he signed a 12-day contract, so he should have been around for a while. But, uh, he is apparently just a pain to deal with. Uh, Jerry Jarrett writes in his book that he like he's showing up late to pre-tapes, he's burying the story he's supposed to be part of, and Jerry's just like, Nah, you're not going back. Bye. Do you think uh, Apollo's like real upset that he's engaged in this big buff program? Oh yeah, he was meant to get the big buff feud that was meant to really elevate him, but no. Mm. That would have really helped Apollo's career. I mean, worked out well for him otherwise. We had another angle to set up a match later in the show, because that makes perfect sense, where uh, Malice beat up Ken Shamrock. Hell yeah! Which, to be fair, I'm on board because it is Malice. Mouse absolutely is one of the highlights of all these shows. He just chokeslams dudes. It's so much fun. It's dope. It's, it's all you want from him. It's just a big, tattered motherfucker walking into each one of these segments, chokeslamming people, pyro going off. Just good times. Of course, that's set up later. Shamrock fighting against all odds, Liam, to take down the, the dastardly Malice. Hell yeah. Could he survive? Who knows? Yes. I've seen the shows. Oh, well, you know, then. Sorry. And just to give a little preamble to the next segment, Mm -hmm. the most charismatic guy on the roster is next? Ah, yes. Todd Stone. Todd Stone showed up. No. (laughs) No. Obviously, I'm referring to Puppet. Puppet the Psycho Dwarf. The Psycho Dwarf. Does, in fact, defeat 
Todd Stone. Then he 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 grabs a kendo stick after the match, and Don West is like, "Great job, little guy!" Offers him a high five, and he hits Don West with the kendo stick. Puppet absolutely rules. But he is like legitimately, you know, there are two. Ba- we'll talk about this more later. But there are two badasses on these shows. There's Jeff Jarrett, and there's Puppet. Puppet is like the strongest booked person on this show. And I'll tell you right now, one of those badasses bows to the other one, and I'm not going to tell you which one it is. Well, we'll find out which one it is uh, when we talk about NWA TNA pay-per-view number seven. Yes, which might be the worst show and the best show. So, yeah, Puppet defeated Todd Stone. Puppet, he's, he, he is, like, legitimately charismatic, and, like, he sadly yeah. passed away last year, which depresses me. Oh, but... <laughs> I'm legitimately upset about yeah, that. Two, the the two coolest people on these shows are Malice and Puppet, and sa- both of them have sadly yeah. passed. God damn. Depressing. But he kicks ass. He's just like, he just kicks ass. He's a guy who shows up and beats people up and acts like a badass instead of Jeff Jarrett, who acts like a badass and gets beaten up. And like, obviously, you know, it's not a gimmick that could ever happen in 2021. Nope. Understandably so, right? But like, some of his lines are just so blunt and out there that you can't help but go, oh, when he says them. And like, it's a recurring theme, but like, him just saying, I want to see midget blood. <laughs> Is so shocking <laughs> that like you sit there and you're just like, oh puppet, <laughs> like he's legitimately like a loose cannon out there. There's Brian Pillman and there's Puppet the Psycho Dwarf. Yeah, Puppet does real. I love Puppet. He's the best. He's like legitimately one of the best things on the sh- these shows. Puppet versus Meatball was one of my favorite matches in all of these shows. <laughs> we'll get to that in the next or in. Was it number five? Francine defeated Taylor Vaughn by DQ. I like the way that the theme song for the women in this company is just like a song that's just like girls, 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 girls. Yeah, isn't that Francine's song specifically? Yeah, that's Francine's theme song. I think they reuse it at some stage because Francine doesn't. As all we people on these shows, Francine doesn't last much longer. So I think they do dig it up for other people. But yeah, that's the women's theme song. Taylor Vaughn also disappears for a while. Uh, Ed Ferreira tried to grope somebody, as he tends to do. He didn't try. Well, yeah, he succeeded. Seated. He did succeed in groping Francine. And then, like, didn't Francine, like, like it? <laughs> I, I think so. I don't know. That was the big swerve. There's, like, they're both perverts. The presentation of women on these shows is just so bad. It's so irredeemably yeah. terrible. It's not even the worst segment. <laughs> That's true. It does get worse from here. This is honestly, this isn't. This might not even be the top five worst female segments <laughs> on these shows that we've seen. The one in which one of the announcers groped one of the performers is not even top five, and you're probably right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Shamrock beat Malice to retain the NWA World Title. Match is fine. Continuing the tradition of Shamrock not getting the main event spot. Yeah, it's very weird how often Shamrock is just a dude in the middle of these shows. With the exception of the Sabu match, I think, is the only one he actually made events. Of course, the first pay-per-view. But otherwise, he's just a dude in the middle of all of these shows. He's not, like, in any way the featured act. It really feels like they had to put it on Ken, mm. but they would have rather not. And like, when you look at the... P- like, it's always Hall and Lawler and, and K-Crush and Jared who are main eventing ahead of him. Why not just put the belt? Just put the belt on Jeff, for God's sake. <laughs> I think maybe it was the Cody thing, right? Where it's like... We don't want that perception immediately. It was a hundred, like that's a hundred percent it. That like, the, and maybe like they thought Ken, because Ken's kind of a dud through these shows. Ken kind of sucks. He's just boring. He's cool in theory, but he just doesn't deliver. Yeah, his matches are just kind of dull. His angles are just kind of dull. So like, Ken's not really the guy that they probably hoped he would become on these shows. To be fair, 
he probably should have been booked like Jared. Mm. He should be hitting everybody with chairs then, is what you're saying. Yes, that's objectively cool. AJ Styles and Jerry Lynn defeated... Oh no, Styles had two matches. Styles retained the exhibition title against David Young in a nice little match. We get the, the top rope Styles clash. Yeah, top rope Styles clashes against David Young of all people, but sure. <laughs> Go for it, AJ. But I think it's, it's cool that we're like establishing that AJ is this dynamic performer that can win matches from literally anywhere in the ring. Mm. And like, it's, it's weird that like the spiral tap was his main finish these days. Like The Styles clash was more of his secondary finish. It's weird. It's interesting how that flipped. Mm. Mostly because the spiral tap probably killed well, him. Well, it's because he's like, I can't do this every <laughs> it's week. It's just like, my back. My back. <laughs> I'm also like working Ring of Honor at this point, so I'm kind of it's dying. A, it, 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 there's mention of Ring of Honor on one of these shows. Where, where... Which is very interesting, right? Oh, this hot, red hot independent uh, company, the winner of this match will be defending the X Division title. The winner of um, the Age of Stars and Loki match on a later show will be defending the X Division title on a Ring of Honor show. It's like hearing Mike Tanay refer to Ring of Honor as a red hot independent. And uh, later on, uh, AJ, I think it was AJ, it might have been Daniels, defends the X title on a PWG show as well. So it was very clearly a bit of a, we're allowed to go out there and do things with other companies. Very AEW-esque, huh? So then, yeah, Styles and Lynn became the first tag team champions, defeating the Rainbow Express. You know? I thought you said Styles and Lindemann then. AJ Styles and L. Lindemann being tag champs together would be tremendous. Yeah, that should be, AJ should lead Audrey and join Stronghearts. Him, Shima, T-Hawk. Onitsuka. And then invade AEW. AJ Styles leading the Stronghearts invasion of AEW. Yeah! Against the elite, let's go. Uh, Joel Gertner was apparently not particularly liked. Where, like, JB would be, like, writing columns on the website and just shooting on people. It's like, management has not been real pleased with Joel Gertner. Apparently, management feels he has been over-anxious when it comes to producing his own character. Like, JB But, like, writing that on the TNA website, it's just like, ah, yeah... That's cool, though. We're letting you inside. We're showing you all the, the shooting stuff. Yeah. Well, it really shows, like, how much of the TNA lore and the TNA, I don't know, perception was there from the beginning. It's just chaos. It's just, it's total chaos. This company was unapologetically TNA from the beginning. <laughs> like, literally the very beginning. It's almost respectable, though, isn't it? It's like, you guys just, you, you were this thing and you never grew out of being this thing. And you somehow managed to be there until the day that I am talking right now. Fair play. Testament to your ability to survive. Jim Miller was attacked. He had F.U. written on him. He was wailing so loudly. (laughs) He was in like a third room space away around a corner with a gag in his mouth. And Goldilocks still managed to hear him. Sensational hearing Goldilocks. Was Was it Jim Miller or Bill Behrens was the one that Goldilocks heard? Maybe both. Could have been either. Well, it was the FU that was heard, so whoever had the FU spray painted on them. Goldie is, this is the investigative reporter that that, that TNA needed. She's like, I hear a noise, I'm going to chase it down. It's so great throughout all of this. She's like the best, she is the best thing on these shows, like legitimately. We said it in the watch along, which you can listen to at the patreon.com slash kidding me, where like all of the non-wrestling characters are like perfect. JB, the commentary team, Goldilocks are all fantastic in their jobs and in their roles. In a way that a lot of WWE people weren't at the time. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting, like, dynamic, right? Or Because, like, WWE's announcers were... Well, he's still a J. Orrin King at that stage, but it was still J. Orrin King slowly, like, tumbling down the hill. 
And like they were abandoning the idea of managers. They were abandoning like all the backstage interviewers were just like clones. So you get Goldilocks, who's like the exact opposite. She has personality, like real personality. She, she reacts. She's she's a character on the show. She's not just a microphone stand. And that's good. To be fair, like if she wasn't, though, she would have been eaten up in all of these segments. Mm. So like she kind of had to be. Like, yeah, there's an entire segment later where Disco Inferno tries to shit on her and she just basically owns him. There's also the greatest segment in TNA history. Which we'll get to. <laughs> Jarrett and K-Crush defeated Lawler and Hall in the main event. Then Lawler turned heel on, on Hall. He abandoned him at ringside. Tag teams just cannot get along. And then Jarrett transformed into Stone Cold Jeff Jarrett and hit everybody with chairs and beat the shit out of BMTs and pushed Scott Hall off of stretchers and went full Stone Cold. How is this not, like, the biggest star in the world? How, like, he's just doing Stone Cold. And to be fair... I was having this this discussion with my roommate. It's like, if you have a company, mm-hmm. would you not just book yourself as Stone Cold? <laughs> like, it makes sense. If like, if it's your company and you have creative control, you're just going to make yourself the biggest star in wrestling history. I can't blame him. No. <laughs> like, that's exactly what you probably should do. <laughs> just be a badass who goes and beats people up. Like, especially at a time like this where it's like, you know, we've talked about it before. It's like, there's not like a ton, you don't have a ton of star power on these shows. Mm. Like, Jared is probably the biggest star on these shows. So, why not booking like this? The only problem is he probably should be a face doing this. Yeah, that's the weird thing. He's like this badass hitting everybody with chairs. He's he's like the, the coolest guy on these shows. He never gets his comeuppance. Uh, and like, he's rejecting authority. He's not going to bow down to Jim Miller or Bill Barons or whoever shows up. And then, yeah, he's supposed to be the heel. It actually becomes like a reverse Stone Cold in the end because it's like babyface authority figure Ricky Steamboat and heel Jeff Jarrett mm. Stone Cold. So yeah, that's a uh, pay-per-view number three. It was... It was a fun show. Uh, that's probably more generous than I'd go, but sure. But I find like all of these shows pretty fun, to be fair. They're interesting historical artifacts. It's also like... You know what it kind of reminds me of? Mm-hmm. It's like stoner movies. <laughs> sure. Where they're not great and they're not cinema right (laughs) but you can watch them and go look at this shit Mm. and have a good time watching it i guess yeah (laughs) you get what i mean like they're not good like a lot of i've watched a lot of stoner movies in my time and like i would never go above one and a half star on any of them (laughs) but i had a good time watching them you know what i mean Uh, yeah yeah Maybe the real key here is just get real high when you watch NWA TNA. And not just high off the quality of action. Well, definitely not that. That brings us to NWA TNA pay number four, which, as we mentioned, if you'd like to hear a full watch along of, is on Patreon on the $10 tier at patreon.com slash kiddingme. But we shall go through it. AJ Styles and Jerry Lynn defeated the New Church. They are already not getting along, despite only winning the tag belts last week. This is truly hilarious. The first on-air tag team champions in company history hate each other but even like the the other big team in the company amw also hate each other the rainbow express break up they just disappear johnson's are gone freaking brian lawler turned on scott hall in the previous show like we're just full-on no team in this company actually elix skipper throws monty to the wolves against ron killings later in one of these shows as well literally every team on these first like seven shows hate each other well it really breaks down to like there's no structure. It's face, heel, face, heel, face, heel. There's no, like, through line here. Like, Elix Skipper is a face for two weeks with a brief, like, triple X formation. And then 
he teams with Monty and is a heel the next week after that. So there's no structure here. It's just it's pure chaos and not even in the cool kind of way. It's just formless. If yeah, this formless is a great word for it. There's just it doesn't feel like there's any real structure to anything. New Church are cool though. Yeah, the New Church are cool and they have great music. They do. It's the best. The one thing I do appreciate about uh, these weekly pay per views is like because it is a pay per view, you most weeks you'll get like at least. A couple title defenses, mm-hmm. which is like you know, again, very AEW. It really like the comparisons are so apt. It's just one is a good wrestling show on top of it, as opposed to one having Francine against Taylor Vaughn. Yeah, <sighs> Brian Christopher came down to the ring, and he's like, "My dad was never there for me." I'm not sure what, he's he's done a couple of these promos during these shows, so they kind of blended together. This wasn't the big one, but, so, but he's just like, I hate my dad, so I'm going to use the Lawler name now as Independence. I think. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not sure how that works. That you're going to own your dad by using his name instead of using Christopher. I don't know. The theory was, I'm going to take the name and I'm going to surpass his mm. with mine. I'm going to make him Brian Lawler's dad. Instead of me being Jerry Lawler's son. Yeah, you tell him. Which would, you know... The, the most frustrating bit about this is, is like, it's, it's never going to pay off. It's never going to... like the, the match that comes from this is Lawler Bryan, and that's never going to happen. Mm-hmm. Which is, I think J- Jerry Jarrett complains about in one, in his book, that he's just like, Vince Russo and Jerry's... This was, I actually think this is a quote about the second promo as opposed to the first one, the one on the pay-per-view number five. But he's just like, this match can't happen. Why are we doing this? And also Jerry Lawler... Com- called him to complain about the interview. <laughs> Is it because his son called him a pedophile on pay-per-view? Yeah, I'd imagine that probably contributed to it because that was in the second one. He's done, he, he did a few of these where he's just like, my, I left my dad a ticket and he didn't show up because, what was the exact line? Because uh, I could tell you what it was. It was because um, he's too busy on Wednesdays hanging out at high schoolers with candy. And then Ed Ferrara goes, what kind? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so that's the Brian Lawler stuff going on in these shows. Yeah, it's like it's in, it's interesting to watch a breakdown like this, mm. but again, there's no payoff to it. Yeah, you can never do the Brian Lawler against Jerry Lawler match. And like to be fair, like Brian is getting some really good heat off of this. The crowd are super into chanting Jerry's kid. Yeah, yeah, and there's just there's nowhere for it to go, unfortunately, mm. or maybe fortunately, because who knows? Like if Jerry was in this company, how it would all go. Yeah, that would be an interesting match. I'm surprised, like, Jerry never showed up in TNA. That feels like a guy they would have went after at one stage. Well, it's because, like, <laughs> like for what it's worth, you know, he, he is a Vince guy more than anyone else there. Mm. Like, it's just that, that he's a lifer, you know? Yeah, Jerry wasn't pleased about his son calling him a pedophile on national pay-per-view. <laughs> I like how um he did the line about, like, my father had three wives that are all that were all younger than me, and the announcers were like, oh, "That doesn't make any sense." And it's like, no, he means then his current age, you morons. Yeah, but they were doing the math. It's like, wait a minute, how can you be? You know, uh, but like Ed Ferrara should have been there to be like, I understand this. Blah, blah, blah. It's like, come on, guys, get your fucking heads on straight. Yeah, he was just also like, no, no, that doesn't make sense. What are you talking about, Brian? Mm. Uh, Hermie Sadler made his wrestling debut. NASCAR star Hermie Sadler. Uh, he defeated K-Crush via reverse decision, Liam. Sure did. Yeah, like, Who cares? Did he look good? No. 
He looked like he was having a lot of fun. Yeah, which I, I believe is the only metric we measure these days based on Twitter. If wrestlers are having fun doing it, you can't call it bad. Exactly. But yeah, he, he is a wrestler. He looked into it. I think the crowd were kind of into it. I think like Ron Killings did a very good job of carrying him as best he could for a guy who wasn't particularly athletic. And like there was a spot in this match where you know Killings did a big jump and Hermie Sadler grabbed him and hit him with a big sit-out power bomb. It's like that's pretty cool. Yeah, in that K Crush power bombed himself. Yeah, but like you know, this was it was this was as good of like a celebrity thing as you could think. You know, it was short. Like K Crush really didn't take much offense from him. Mm-hmm. He like beat him up for most of it, and then just you know he went too far. He beat him up after the match too, just to make sure people knew NASCAR wasn't a real sport. Which I guess you can um, eat shit, Sean Cedar. Um, which, which makes you just, you know, that's kind of K-Crush's thing, is he goes too far with it. Mm, even if he's right, which we'll talk about with his later promos. Yeah, I, I, I really didn't mind this as a, a celebrity segment. So Takawa Mori was there, he was doing his Hindu squats, <laughs> before uh, Alicia Webb, the former Ryan Shamrock, shows up and gets money from him. Yep. Which, sure. <laughs> Amori had an, uh, an eventful trip down south. Uh, do you think he even knew what was happening? It's like, we're not going to explain this to you. Just hand money to this woman. We're not... <laughs> no, he'd understand the implication, even if... I think he would have definitely understood the implication. <laughs> but, like, th- the other two made sense, right? Like, Alicia did it in public to embarrass mm. them. But, like, this was just backstage. Could he have not handed her the money <laughs> earlier? He was just trying to do his Hindu squats. How dare she interrupt his Hindu squats? I wonder if, like, he got ribbed for this when he went back. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was back... Well, he was in Noah at this point, right? Yep. I wonder if, like, he went back and, like, the boys and Noah are, like, handing him money backstage <laughs> while doing Hindu squats or something. Uh, do you think TNA maybe spread that far? Because, like, I I would definitely do that to somebody. I think no matter what, like, it takes, I think the ability to rib the boys travels internationally. <laughs> Briscoes had a match with the Hot Shots before Malice killed everybody. Holy shit! The Briscoes! Yes, Jay and Mark Briscoe, very young looking, wee lads. Absolute babbies. In one of their two televised matches, they also had a dark match later, or on one of these other shows. So you you have one more Briscoe's TNA match to look forward to, Liam. Hell yeah. Bizarre to see them in a TNA ring. People, like, that's the thing. Literally everybody, not eh, literally everybody, but pretty much literally everybody, came through the doors of TNA wrestling at one stage or another, which is what makes these shows kind of fun. It's, like, silly to be like, you know, Jasmine St. Clair shows up and does these things and then disappears. Or Buff Bagwell does this angle where he drops the name Buff and then disappears. And Joel Gertner is managing the Rainbow Express, but then disappears. And, like, it's kind of frustrating in that regard that, like, they set up all these angles that just go absolutely nowhere because the people involved just disappear. But also, it does add, like, a fun variety to the show that you just get, like, the Briscoes showing up for a week or two. You really not You don't get enough chance to get sick of people. Mm. For the most part, I feel like I'm going to get real sick of Disco Inferno. But for the most part, you know, you don't they're not around enough to actually get sick of these people, which is kind of a fun touch, I guess. And, like, there is a core there. There is, like, the Styles and the Lins and the Halls and the Jarrets that are on all of these shows and the Storms and the Harrises. And the Duffs. And the Duffs, of course, who are surprisingly on all of these shows. And then you, just, you do just get the people that pop in and out and just do angles that go nowhere, but they're fun in the moment, so who cares? Yeah. Malice hits a choke slam on Jay Briscoe here, where there's, like, an explosive sound when he hits the ring that sounds absolutely amazing. And I was very upset to find out that it's a work, Liam. I've been worked. It wasn't just a happy coincidence based on, like, microphones and where he hit him in the ring or some nonsense like that. They expressly set off a pyro sound effect to make the choke slam sound better. So I, I have been Got worked. Got a hell of a reaction from the crowd. Yeah, because it sounded amazing. Yeah. More companies should do this. 
Mm. Especially if you can find a way to make it a little less, a little more subtle mm. in uh, you know our 2021s. Which, based on the technology WWE uses for the Thunderdome, I have faith in their subtlety. I'm sure that is a, a very cool and relevant joke that I just don't understand. I, I'm burying how their crowd noise sounds like the fakest thing imaginable. Ah. Uh. It's the worst. The du- <laughs> Let's just move on then. Fine. The du- the- I'm sorry. I, 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 can't, I don't really have a point of comparison. I don't watch anything from the main roster. How dare you not? You've seen the Capital Wrestling Center. It's the same thing. Yeah, but they actually have people there, I guess. Well, they do now, but they didn't when we watch NXT, so... I erased that from my mind almost immediately after it happened. The Duffs were taking turns with Fluff. I think that was the entire point of the segment. <laughs> Why'd you have to phrase it like that? That's what was happening on the screen, Liam. I'm only simply reciting what was happening on the screen. And I will recite the same things I said as we our watch-along, but... I, I think it's very clear that, like, Bo Dup and Fluff Dup, like, must be an item or something, because he goes right in on it. Yeah. But, like, old stand-up is very... Uh, pre- Cautious with where he places hands and faces and such to not make any contact inappropriately. Maybe we are simply telling the story that stand-up is the more, like, passive and the more anxious of the two, as opposed to Bodup, who is the more confident. Are you aware of this uh, little segment later on with uh, Goldilocks? (laughs) He's just simply commenting on how nice Goldilocks looks, and there is... (laughs) (laughs) Why are all these shows so bad? (laughs) Speaking of bad, Jasmine St. Clair shows up, uh, the the girlfriend of the Blue Meanie, noted porn star, and she gives JB a lap dance. The Blue Meanie is a noted porn star? JB is a porn star, yes. Ah. Would you watch a porn movie featuring JB? <laughs> would you watch JB do porn? No. Do you want to see JB do I would porn? Not, I would not watch JB, I would watch the Blue Meanie, however. Blue Meanie, uh, I wonder if he did he do porn with Jasmine St. Clair. Were they actually a thing, or was this just a bit for the, the shows? I'm pretty sure they were actually a thing at the time, yeah. He does look like a sleazy porn director when he shows up. And in typical wrestling fashion, he was the one who trained her to wrestle. So. Ah, fun. She gives JB a lap dance. Bill Behrens comes out to try to stop him, which in the one of my favorite bits, Ed Ferrara jumps off the announce desk and spears Bill Behrens out of his shoes. Go, go, go. <laughs> like full, he becomes Bill Goldberg all of a sudden to take down Bill Behrens to stop him from covering up Jasmine St. Clair. He fails, but he tried. It's truly one of the most... Uh, one of our best reactions as we were watching as well. Like, I love that there's, like, a camaraderie between JB and Ferrara building. Yeah. Over perversion. <laughs> They're both filthy perverts who want women to expose themselves. Like, as Ed was walking back to the commentary table, he was, like, putting, like, a reassuring hand on JB's shoulder <laughs> before he went. I love the little bromance that they have developed. So at least something good comes out of these segments. A friendship was born, Liam, and isn't that all that matters? Yeah. Uh, Elvis has beat the Duffs. Sure did. Most notable for or Siaki being above the whole Elvis thing and Estrada doing most of the match and then Siaki comes in and wins. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty, it's a good bit. I, I enjoy Siaki. He is thoroughly obnoxious, except when they forget to turn his microphone on at the desk, of course, which happened twice. I have become a big fan of Siaki throughout these episodes. I will say that. Mm. After they had dissension earlier in the show, Jerry Lynn attacked AJ Styles in the roller coaster ride of emotions that becomes their story. <laughs> Hell of a beatdown. And he pile drives him on a box. And it looks great. And he did that whip into the rail that AJ did a flip bump for. Yeah, good stuff. That's top notch. AJ almost spiked himself on the the roll too. Mm. As as AJ is wont to do, over committing to things that he really could just take a regular bump for. Mm. The Shamrock and Amori went to a no contest, which fun fact, Shamrock was meant to beat Amori until Noah found out. Noah's like, no, he's not losing. So they went to a no contest instead. 
Why even bring him in at that point? Well, he was already brought in. Jerry Jarrett expressly says, like, he wouldn't have done it if he had known that he would have to do a DQ finish. But, ah, uh, well, match was announced. Match was promoted. Shit happens. I like him more. Yeah, like, this match is kind of good more. for a while. They Like, the first, like, two minutes of this match is good before they settle into doing nothing. Yeah, was, we were saying, um... Again, on the watch along. I hate to keep going back to Patreon.com you know, slash kidding me, Liam. It's, it's, it is our first thoughts on this, so it makes sense. They probably should have done like some sort of squash the, like a week before or something, because they were taping two at a time at this point. Well, they did do the, the, the segment earlier in the show where Amori saved. Yeah, but it, just, it wasn't enough. Yeah. You know, because the crowd did not give a shit. Yeah. So it's like, I feel like if you had have given him like a big squash over someone before this match it would have got a little more heat on it mm. the amori came through harley race that was the connection to noah uh, harley race has long had connections to noah sending some of his trainees over there hmm. harley race i believe was also the initial relationship that got uh kenny signed to the the wwf oh, betrayal mm. that was relevant because it was because kenny went there to go to japan but then got picked up by WWF instead Ugh. that was the the relevance to the japan con- the connection it wasn't just a random harley race fact that i knew listen i'm here for random harley race facts that you know if you know them i've uh harley race was in that one australian match that i watched that i talked about oh very good it was a really good match it was like five minutes but harley race killed it yeah, harley race is and great champ at the time yeah that's like one of the few harley race matches i've seen from like his nwa run so that main event skipper daniels kid romeo tony Luke, and jerry lynn lost to loki as loki became number contender before the flying elvises attacked and laid out the triple x before x division people made the save this is daniels making his day in the tna debut of course so that's at least historically notable in the hobby it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks we hype ourselves up thinking maybe i can pull a ken Griffey jr rookie card But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards, and yeah, you can open it, and look, it's going to be junk. You're, you, you know what I mean? Like, you know what you're probably going to get in those. Maybe you find that fun, and sometimes I do. Sometimes I like just opening up cards and saying, oh, hey, look at some random cards or whatever. But if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards, it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs, and it ends up being, you know, almost nothing. You know, nothing of value. Not with Arena Club. You get a display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading. So you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. 
you can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Also, Key gets really over in this match. Yeah, Loki is one of the people that like the crowd are super into. And it's funny, there's reports after the show that a lot of the exhibition guys are like, Loki's hitting us with stiff kicks. We're, we don't like oh, working wah, with wah, him. Wah. <laughs> Loki's hitting us with stiff Good. That's what he does and it rules. <laughs> Be thankful that you're not in Special K, okay? Otherwise, you would have had multiple concussions. Liam has very, a lot of sympathy for Loki beating up these poor exhibition nerds. I sure don't, because Loki rules. <laughs> and if you rule, you're allowed to hurt your opponents. That is the way wrestling works. If you're bad and you hurt your opponents, then you will get no sympathy from me. But if you're good while you do it, sure. Yeah, very good main event. Just exhibition nonsense. Flipping. Guys doing cool shit. What more do you want? Yeah. Because it, it is, like, it's interesting to see what they they knew people liked and they knew what was important to who they were, which was, like, the X Division. They knew it's like, that's what people really like. That's the stuff people are hyping up coming out of our shows. So we're going to do more X Division. But also, they still can't get away from doing all, like, the Jasmine Sinclair stuff and all the nonsense, the rest of the nonsense they do, like Jerry Lawler's being called a pedophile. And... <laughs> It's very weird to see them, like, work this out in real time. And it is the conflicting, like, the Russo sensibilities versus the Jerry Jarrett sensibilities versus the Jeff Jarrett sensibilities all kind of melding into this weird hodgepodge of an identity-less product that doesn't really make much cohesive sense. But they do know the X Division's a big deal. So they're like, yeah, X Division, good. Mm. Uh, There was talk afterwards, by the way, of having James Mitchell manage Christopher Daniels as part of the new church. You mentioned that on the watch-along, so this is a carry-forward thing. That that was a thing they considered, but obviously didn't do. Mm. Before we had our real main event, in which Jeff Jarrett came out, classic Jeff Jarrett, he was complaining, he was moaning, he was being a badass, until he got into a pushing fight with the Tennessee Titans, who uh, the Wrestling Observer tells me is Frank Miller and Zach Piller. Never heard of these people. I'm sure they're real footballers, unless Dave got the names wrong, in which I'm sorry. (laughs) But those are the Tennessee Titans that were fighting with Jeff Jarrett and uh, by all accounts this this segment was not supposed to go as it went it was just supposed to be like a little like fisty cups a little pushy push and then they'd go off the air and Malice would come out instead the Titans jumped the guardrail and started like beating up Jeff Jarrett oh yeah <laughs> and like one of the Titans whoever like I that like got into it with Jeff Jarrett was just like utterly overpowering him and like beating the hell out of him it was good stuff did you see him call his boys in too yeah he was just like Jarrett started making a comeback he's like Get over here. The Tennessee Titans not wanting to put over anyone. Oh dear. Yeah, because by all accounts, this caused some, some some consternation within the Titans camp, who were like, they weren't supposed to do this. What the hell? Why were they fighting on pay per view? They got the players got in trouble. It was it was a big deal. Do you think TNA was like, yeah, they weren't supposed to? <laughs> We did not plan for your boys to get drunk and jump the rail and actually start actively fighting our wrestlers live on pay-per-view. And beating up our biggest star, you fucks. Yeah, the guy who we've done everything we can to make like the, look like the biggest badass in the world suddenly gets in there with a couple of footballers and he gets his ass kicked. 
Mm. And then like Malice comes out and Malice doesn't really know what to do and he kind of just gets involved and it... Malice kind of helps Jared because <laughs> it's this is meant to set up Malice against Jared the next week in the ladder match except because the Titans are too busy beating the hell out of Jeff Jarrett Malice is just like uh, help him <laughs> yeah it was like the final flight but the it was between do I beat up Jarrett or do I is it the wrestler's code of honor that I now need to protect him while I'm out here this is just TNA chaos. Where it's like, we're going to have a nice little segment where the Titans will have some, like, pushing back and forth with Jeff. And, you know, maybe we'll get some media attention. And no, it descends into chaos where the Titans start brawling with Jeff Jarrett. It's funny, because it's like, a lot of this time is like the most TNA things that have happened up until this point haven't even been their fault. Which is basically the story of TNA history, isn't it? Uh, a lot of the time it does become their fault. This, These early instances is a lot of bad luck. To be fair, it got a lot of press for TNA. A lot of the Tennessee stations, a lot of local newscasts covered it, uh, including like outside of Tennessee, like California, Florida, New York. It even made it onto the West Coast edition of Sports Center on ESPN. So like that's always what wrestling is trying to do. We always mock it. It's like they want their Sports Center moment, and like they got it. So well done. Mm. It went absolutely nowhere because the players got in trouble and they weren't allowed to come back. So like they they barely mentioned it on the, the fifth show expressly because. They're like, we can't do anything with this, so we're just going to mention it in passing. No. All the wrestlers are like, we have to get them to come back in. Yeah, there's this a hot angle. we got to do a match. Yeah. Probably would have done well for them, too, considering they were based around Tennessee from that point on, right? Or Nashville. Well, I, I do wonder, because this show did 1,500 uh, attendance, 800 paid. The, the next show did 2,000. There wasn't a number for the number paid, but it does say heavily papered. But like there, there was a jump in attendance of 500 from pay-per-view number 4 to pay-per-view number 5. So I do wonder if there was like a bunch of people being like, oh, this TNA thing, that seems interesting. I'm going to go down to the, the municipal auditorium and check it out next week. Are you highlighting the things on the run sheet so that I see them, or is it for yourself? It's for myself, yes. So my brain is like, this is the number I'm supposed to read now. I'm supposed to be like, 2,000 heavily papered. If you would like to read those show notes, these show notes for yourself, by the way, they're up on patreon.com slash kidding me in our $1 tier, where you can follow along in our show notes. I like that, um, like the before when I was mentioning the... I forget, there's one point that I was mentioning and you highlighted it. I was like, do you want me to stop mentioning it? I was like, <laughs> I was like, is this just subtle way of saying, no, I'm going to bring that up. No, this is just, just me being like, my brain needs to go blue. <laughs> I need highlights. But yeah, it got a lot of media attention. So that's pay-per-view number four. Probably their best show so far, honestly. Yeah, I real this this was a ton of fun this show. Because this is a show that had some like good wrestling, Styles and Lin against the New Church, the exhibition match were good matches. It just had some wacky stuff like Amori and the Briscoes. It's just a fun time. Yeah. There's a reason it was picked to be the one that we did the watch along to. Mm. And then that brings us to NWA TNA Paper number five from the Municipal Auditorium. As we mentioned, two thousand people there. As I do some more highlighting badly, <laughs> two thousand people. Two thousand people were there. I'd imagine that is like a direct result of the media attention they got from the Titans angle. That people actually showed up. Obviously, not that many of them were paid, but nobody were paying for these shows, so who cares? Hmm. The show kicked off with Jeff Jarrett getting in a brawl with Scott Hall. He was kicked out of his match with Malice. It was raining. <laughs> I felt bad for him. They were out in the in the parking lot and it was just pouring rain on Jared. Yeah, that wasn't rain. That was actually a special effect of, to sell the injustice wow. Jeff Jarrett had just been inflicted. The production of NWA TNA, huh? that's where all the money went. Yeah, fake and rain. And to be fair, like, why wasn't Scott Hall kicked out of his match? Uh, because Jarrett's mean and also he had the Titans thing last week so he's already in the bad books. And he, he, he has, like, flagrantly attacked authority throughout this in, his entire run, so... 
<laughs> Multiple times. And he will continue to do so later on this show. But it brings us to our opening contest in which Sabu made his TNA debut, replacing Jeff Jarrett in a ladder match against Malice. Sabu is a star, Liam. This is such a Liam moment. <laughs> Sabu versus Malice in a ladder match? It, it doesn't get much more Liam than that. It's the peak of wrestling. Honestly. And like you were saying, it's so clear and desperate that they need stars on this show. Mm. So Sabu was like, as soon as I saw him, I was like, yes, this is an obvious addition that needs to happen. And the crowd very much treated him as a star. They were like, oh, that's a big, this guy. We actually like this guy. Yeah. I can't express how much like someone of like Sabu's level coming in was necessary. Because mm. there's, there's like no one. How dare you say that about Brian Lawler? Well, like, to be fair, like, I, I give, I'm giving Brian Law a ton of credit <laughs> when I say that he was, like, legitimately over as a heel. Mm. It's just the problem was he got over as a heel at the expense of something that could never happen. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this match ruled, by the way. The match, the match ruled. Yeah, this was a ton of fun. <laughs> this is doing dopey ladder spots for ten minutes. Just Malice falling off ladders through tables. Sabu just doing... Like, Sabu is, like, the, the perfect perfect match for the TNA chaos because he's Sabu of course he is I'm trying to get away from using the term fun to describe wrestling Mm -hmm. because I think it's such a blanket term that means nothing but like this match is just complete unadulterated fun it's just an enjoyable time to watch Sabu and Malice do plunder I did like before the match James Mitchell cut a promo and he's like Malice is gonna wash his hands in the crimson life essence of whoever he faces. It's like, all right, take mm. it down a notch, Jim. Good times. No, don't. <laughs> I want Jim to be the most melodramatic thing possible. That's true. To be fair, he he should go further than crimson life essence. Jerry Lynn and AJ Styles had their big in-ring segment we mentioned earlier, where Jerry Lynn basically chastised them for being a young punk who doesn't know anything, and then turned his back and Styles jumped him from behind. Also, like. The the sailor's mouth on Jerry Lynn out here. My man was getting bleeped every three seconds. <laughs> and the funny part is there's a story afterwards that Jerry Jarrett was not happy about the amount that Jerry Lynn was using the words God damn on this show. Yeah. His express quote was, I will not tolerate or appreciate using God's name in vain. And in one of those circumstances, I didn't portray to that, that to the talent and dropped a God damn. He told Chairshots.com. He was later confronted backstage and, you know, confronted. Basically politely told, please don't say goddamn anymore. But it's quite funny. It's like, how dare you? When I was, like, just going over the notes just then and I, and I read it, I thought AJ was the one who got mad. Famous man of faith, AJ Styles. Yes, literally. And which reminds me of the greatest PWG moment of all time where Chris Bosch starts cutting the Austin 316 promo on AJ Styles <laughs> And Styles thinks it's has apparently never heard this promo before because he takes the mic and starts yelling at him about taking God's name in vain <laughs> in the middle of the PWG ring in a truly all-time independent wrestling moment. To be fair, AJ might not have actually heard that promo before because I'm pretty sure he wasn't that big of a wrestling fan when he got into wrestling. So he probably was <laughs> like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> but still, it's literally the most famous American promo of all time. Yeah, but he wasn't watching wrestling, so... Probably should have heard it. <laughs> but if you, anyone who hasn't seen that, I'm pretty sure it's on YouTube. Go check that out. <laughs> One of the best independent wrestling moments of all time. Apparently Jerry Lynn apologized and was like, oh, I won't swear anymore. I like the way, like, there's, there's women being fondled. There's open racism. <laughs> like, we shall draw the line at using the word goddamn. 
Garrett, I don't, I don't want to get uh, political around here, but um, you're saying there's some hypocrisy when it comes to religion. I can't believe that wrestling would feature any kind of hypocrisy. That's that's very unlike mm. wrestling, Liam. I don't believe this for a second. Uh, Bully Ray would be turning in his non-existent grave. Kate Crush came to the ring and he gave out about all how WWE held him back and they're racist and he's not called Kate yes, Crush anymore. we're here, baby! We're doing it! The WWE sucks promo! Let's go! It took him five weeks, to be fair, to do a real, like, WWE is terrible, they held back an ex-WWE talent, I'm not using their name anymore, I'm called Ron Killings, or The Truth. Yeah, he was just The Truth. Was he, he was called Kate Crush in WWE, wasn't he? Uh, K-Quick, I think. Yeah, there we go. I was, I was like, it's K-something, wasn't it? Yeah, K-Quick. So yeah, he's he's abandoned the K, the K name in favor of Ron Killings, which is his shoot name. And the truth, because he's speaking truths on these shows. I don't think he's actually referred to as Ron Killings until the Steamboat segment. I'm pretty sure they, they call him Killings on commentary. But like, they're like, do you want to be called Killings or Truth? Uh, and they, they're not sure on commentary. Because I'm pretty sure they do call him Killings on commentary when he wrestles. Maybe. I, I thought he was the truth pretty explicitly until the the steamboat segment because i was like well we called him ron and the and the announcers made note uh maybe they called him killings but they might not have called him ron because in the the match immediately following the first uh steamboat stuff oh sorry in that promo on commentary they made note that ron was his real name yeah after that promo he then wrestles norman smiley and beats him and tries to choke him until norman's wife comes out and he's like please stop choking and then my he starts husband. choking norman smiley's wife <laughs> yeah, he goes after his wife too it's very rude of him like Again, like, just a full loose cannon at this point. But it's also kind of great. Like, Killings is very clearly the most young star potential they have probably next to AJ. Mm-hmm. And very different kinds of stars as well. Yes. Because, like, a- AJ's the great ace wrestler, and then Killings is just immensely charismatic. And then we get the best <laughs> 10 minutes in TNA history. The best angle in TNA history. The best segment in TNA history. You're that excited about Puppet jerking off in a trash can? Yes! (laughs) This is just ten minutes of sexual harassment. (laughs) It goes from Puppet jerking off in a trash can, talking about wanting midget blood and sexually harassing Goldilocks, to her immediately turning around, walking down to interview the dubs, where she is immediately sexually harassed again. How is this a thing on a show? TNA, TNA. Listen, Liam, the company is called TNA. You gotta live up to the name. Total non-stop assault. To be fair to Puppet... I think he's getting off at the idea of inflicting pain on others more than Goldilocks. Eh, no, he want, he said explicitly to Goldilocks that he wants to show her his cobra. <laughs> After t- talking about his, like, six-inch pythons or whatever. Fair play, John. And then stand-up is a pyromaniac now because that is the natural evolution of the character. Mm-hmm. And uh, one bowed up is fondling fluffed up way more than stand-up is yet again. Yeah, but this... And we get the most disgusting line in TNA history. Of course, a stand-up turned to Goldilocks while lighting his lighter and goes, you have very pretty lips. To which she takes as a compliment and says, oh, thank you. And he responds, wasn't talking about those lips. To a monstrous reaction <laughs> from the crowd. Uh... That's the Vince Russo effect, baby. This is the first show that has Vince Russo on board as part of creative, contributing to the show. And that's what you get with Vince Russo. I also don't appreciate this, like, 
demeaning element to the puppet character. Mm. You know? He's just a man who wants midget eradication, okay? They're exact words. <laughs> That's all he's here for, and now you're turning him into a sex pervert, and I don't appreciate that. Listen, the, the problem was he was too likable, and there can be nobody who is likable on these shows. That is fair. Except Goldie. <laughs> Goldie is the only person who is above all this shit. Which is why she probably doesn't last very long. Uh, the Elvises defeated Triple X before Triple X, as uh, Siaki continued to be too cool for the Elvises, but they won anyway, so fair play to him. It was very cool to see proto-Triple X, though. Yeah, Daniels and Skipper, they even came out together. It's like, oh, look, look at these Triple X boys. He even, like, in the the previous show, seeing the three of them in the six-man. Uh, six yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, it was just a cool little moment to see them all around, hanging out together. And even the final two of that match came down to Daniels and, and Loki. So it's like, oh, look at these triple X boys wrestling each other. Which I believe might have been... A... Did Daniels get the X shot at Ring of Honor? I have no idea. If he was the second contender. I will Google it while you talk about... Puppet against Meatball is the important thing. Oh no, my dream match. <laughs> <laughs> your, your dream match. <laughs> Uh, Puppet and Meatball have a what they bill as hardcore midget match. Those are their words, not mine. <laughs> I want to be like very clear that every time we mention midget, it's within the context of exact phrases they have said. Yeah, we're they're literally quoting back their words. This is what the, this is the text of the show. Get mad at the show, not us. It's two thousand and two, man. Yeah, puppet beat meatball. They brawled all over the arena. They, he hit him with a watermelon. <laughs> meatball shoved a pie in his face before puppet eventually won. It was. You know what? It was actually a fun little match. Yeah, it really, it was actually, you know, it, it's fun, you know, like it's it's stupid and it's dumb, but, you know, it's a plunder match and like Puppet is actually charismatic so it works out. The X Division title match, I believe, was actually against Adam Jacobs and David Young at Ring of Honor's Crowning a Champion. The first defense outside of TNA. That's a dream X Division title match right there. <laughs> David Young getting that Ring of Honor spot purely based on the exhibition, I'm sure. Listen, he had a good match with AJ, even if he did nothing to deserve it. Mm. And uh, PWG defences were Daniels, to go back to before. When would that have been, like, 05? Uh, that was 05. He defended against Alex Shelley on the first night mm. and Chris Hero at the second night. Exhibition stalwarts, both of them. I, I sh at least that's a little fun factoid that, you know, that Chris Hero did compete for the exhibition title. So they were trying to build toward a Beetlejuice versus Puppet match. Beetlejuice, the famously from the Howard they Stern show. They did hype that on a previous uh, on a previous promo from Puppet. Mm, so he was calling people out, and they were hoping that would lead to a match. They were waiting for Howard Stern to like come back because he was on reruns. But when he came back, they were just like, nah. They probably should have done it. They probably would have done some like numbers. Apparently, like they wanted uh, first class air tickets, and they were like, we're going to give you coach, and they were like, no. And they also wanted uh, TNA to buy advertising time on Stern, which TNA were also like, no, mm. because of course this the, the TNA were about to move to the asylum, move to the Nashville Fairgrounds because they went broke, so they couldn't afford these kind of things. Personally, I think perhaps you should have cut Vince Russo's paycheck <laughs> in order. To fund the worldwide uh, noteworthy <laughs> Howard Stern <laughs> segments, you know that probably would have done more value for you than having Vince Russo fuck around. And you would have gotten the dream match of Beetlejuice against the most charismatic wrestler in the world, Puppet. Plus, you would have got like it would be the most TNA thing in history to have Howard Stern cutting promos on TNA, wouldn't mm -hmm. it? Like that's just that's what you expect right there. But it fell through, so we they all move on and with Damn. their lives. I want to live in that reality. 
In that reality, TNA was the number one company in history where they just said, fuck it, and they didn't bring in Russo and they brought in Howard Stern instead. Head of creative, Howard Stern running the wrestling. I bet he legitimately would have had a lot of fun there. I'm not a big Stern guy, but I definitely could have seen Howard Stern falling in love with the TNA atmosphere. I don't think I've deliberately listened to a single second of Howard Stern content. I've seen I've seen very little, but I I've seen enough to like get the gist. Mm. Ironically, I think the most Howard Stern I ever heard was um, the the nine eleven instant reaction show where he, it happened during Howard Stern. That must have been a grim thing to listen to. It's an incredibly confronting, but like weirdly historical event because like it happens literally during the show, and the whole thing is is filmed, and uh, and you see everyone's instant reactions. You see the <laughs> The instantaneous racism <laughs> from everyone involved. It's it's like it's it's actually upload. I think it used to be on YouTube. It may have been taken down now, but it was actually up on one of those like like historical moments in media YouTube channels. Mm. Like if that's something that like wouldn't trigger anyone who like is listening, if that's something that you could get through without it being too confronting for you, I, I do recommend it as a, a historical thing in media, but. Obviously, if it's a, it's it's not worth seeking out if it would cause you any actual emotional distress. So, on the topic of emotional distress, Jasmine St. Clair against Francine. <laughs> That's what we call a segue in the podcasting business. Yeah, there you go. We'll be up there with Stern in no time. So this was strangely the most seriously taken angle in the history of TNA, where they had their match and then Flumini <laughs> comes out and DDTs Francine, and like they go full like. Oh, you know, hush tones. Francine might be badly injured. They Owen voice it. Don't subtle this. They go full Owen voice on this. For Francine being DDT, it's like, oh, she she might be badly injured. Ed Ferrara is very concerned, and they're they're. Yeah, Ed Ferrara is not doing anything lewd because he's legitimately concerned. But I tell you, who was doing something lewd? That fucking paramedic. <laughs> that paramedic was groping Francine's ass as he put her on the stretcher. Are we sure that wasn't the Jeff Jarrett paramedic? Oh, I don't know, but I could. I, I saw it with my... I couldn't believe it. He was, like, full-on going in there. And just letting, like, Francine can, like, break character to go, hey, stop that. <laughs> like, my man was taking full advantage. Honestly, that might be... In, in a company run and full of perversion, this may be the biggest pervert of all. Because this isn't even, like, scripted perversion. This is just a dude being a pervert. <laughs> in a spot where Francine had no chance of stopping it either. It's just... What a... I, rem- I was, like, disgusted with this guy. For real. This was meant to lead to more stuff, but Jasmine and Blue Meanie were like, we were going to drive to these shows, that's fine. And then they were like, actually, no, we want playing reservations. And Jerry Jarrett was like, we can't afford it, bye. Yeah. Like, to be fair, I think the Blue, the Blue Meanie looked great here. Like, he looked, like, slim. He looked like uh, a, podca- <laughs> a podcast. <laughs> well, yes, he did look like a podcaster. But he did look like a porn director. <laughs> like, it was a perfect combination here. And they were never seen again. Of course. AJ Styles beat Loki in a very good exhibition title match. I don't remember a lot about it. I remember being a little disappointed in it. It wasn't like you see when you see AJ and Loki, you you have those expectations of like, oh, next level, finally something on these shows. That's uh, we're out of getting freaking the dups and all these shy talk. I, I don't okay. <laughs> I think the dups have a terrible gimmick, but are both very good wrestlers, at least in the the world of the NWA TNA. Also, I, I do think they're charismatic. It's just sadly the things they're scripted to say are bad. Yes, but like. Was it... Oh, I forget his name now. We'll get to it later. But the big British bloke... Ian Harrison? Uh, versus, yes, Ian Harrison, the Iron Brit, versus uh, Bo Dub. I thought Bo looked great in that match. He looked great in the first show as well. He was like the highlight of that tag yeah. match with Joey Matthews and the other guy. 
Kristen York. Put some respect on the Dupps' names, except when they're being disgusting, I suppose. <laughs> Maybe I don't want to, like, bat for the, but the Dupps that hard, actually, in retrospect. Listen, you're in too deep. You're the biggest fan of the Dupps. You endorse everything they do. I've fluffed up. Way well, hey, very well done. AJ retained the title after the match. Jerry Lynn hit the best-looking spear you'll ever see in your life. Yeah, a spear so good that I gifted it. Yeah. Posted it, and immediately was told that you had already done it. <laughs> I don't know if you saw my post today, but I, I was I was on Twitter giving out about how I can never gif anything because you've already done it. Well, you see, that's your fault for watching these shows after me. It was nice of you to actually post one gif to the podcasting account. Hey, you posted a Sonny Siaki video to your account as well, so how dare you? Yeah, because of you. <laughs> Much like AJ and Loki, this tag team is breaking up immediately. We have immediate dissension. But yeah, because AJ's walking down the ramp and you think the segment's over, it's just going to move on. And then Lin just comes flying out of one of the tunnels and spears him out of his boots. It rules. Looking like Roman Reigns. <laughs> Better than Roman. People were like, oh, is that Edge? It's like, how dare you? Edge has never done a spear that good in his life. Yeah. I like. I was. Gonna, that's why I said Roman, because Roman does a better spear than Edge. The, I'm back on board, even though they suddenly start getting along after this. So <laughs> Yeah, the next show is, like, it made me angry. We'll get into that after we talk about our main event, in which Brian Lawler lost to Scott Hall. What was the result of that match? He lost, right? So Scott Hall defeated Brian Lawler after Lawler did a long promo. A long promo. <laughs> to be fair, it built... To a perfect end, but I, because it was so long. I, I, see, I even disagree with that though, because like the set, the moment where he had his back turned, he was talking to the audience, and Hall was there, was all fine. But he kept going for like a minute while Scott Hall was standing but behind him. But the payoff them. was so good. The payoff was so good because people were even at the point where they're doing the turning around symbol, and he's sitting there like, "What the hell does that mean?" <laughs> <laughs> and then gets that, and Hall, you know. Throws an amazing punch, obviously. So that first cut off and that big punch, crowd goes nuts for it. But that legitimately, that's a thought I had because the the Jarrett match on the last show as well. It's like Scott Hall's punches are so good. Yeah, he's like historically a great punch guy. To be fair, the people taking his punches have the great snap and it looks great. It like it was a good spot. It just you could have spent less time talking to get there. Ah, oh, classic millennial attitude. <laughs> Can't. Wait for anything, you know, you need it now, you need it immediately. Says Mr. Gen Z over here. Yeah, uh, Gen Z know how to respect things, okay? <laughs> Give it time, let it breathe. So the whole one-hour main event match was quite boring. I don't remember anything about that match. No, like literally, I couldn't tell you what the finish was. How'd he win? Who knows? Outsider's edge. Sure, go for it. After the match, Jeff Jarrett came out again. He was disguised as a paramedic who looked more like a golfer, frankly. <laughs> his paramedic disguise was not very paramedic -y. If he if he groped some women, I would have believed it, but he didn't. Yeah, there would have been a, a point of reference at least. He actually should have come out. They should have tried to disguise him and have him come out earlier in the show for that paramedic, for the Francine the stretcher job. Yeah, but would Stone Cold Jeff Jarrett even do that? <laughs> if he was out there, he would have started throwing chair shots at Francine. So. He can't do anything without hitting people with chairs. On the, the seventh episode, he did say he wanted to fight a woman next. <laughs> After insinuating that, like, little people are the lowest form of humanity? Mm. These shows are just, they're, they're not problematic. Maybe, maybe, no, it's are problematic. Maybe we would have got a Beetlejuice versus Jeff Jarrett. Oh, well, that would have been a match. Jeff Jarrett versus Howard Stern? Wasn't it? It was Beetlejuice that Jeff Jarrett hit with the guitar at WCW, wasn't it? Yes, actually. So, yeah, it would have been a, it would have been a throwback to WCW. Wow. Uh, Jarrett waffled uh, Harley Race with a, frankly, sickening-looking chair shot. 
it ruled. Which apparently Harley Race, there was rumblings going around that Harley Race was like, yeah, stiff me with the chair shot. Which, sure. Yeah, he's a worker, goddammit. And Jeff Jarrett once again stands tall as the toughest, most badass guy in the history of wrestling. Yeah, which is, like, cool. Like, we say this, like, with a with a, an air of sarcasm or an air of, like, yeah, you know, Jeff. But it's like, yes, that's 100% what you should be doing with Jeff Jarrett. Which brings us to NWA TNA pay-per-view number 6, July 24th. 700 people packed into the Nashville Fairgrounds. Again, it, it was not yet dubbed the Asylum, but it was, of course, the Asylum. Sure. I, okay, so just a quick over, an overview of this episode. This was like a bottle episode of a TV show in that it had like one theme that it was all centered around. And obviously the show was a bit more, a bit more compact than the more recent shows too. But I loved the through line of this show being that there was no security because uh, Ian Harrison had locked them all in a room and they were all trapped. And you know what's funny about that segment too is like Ken was out of the room where they were all locked in there, but then... At the end of the show, he was in that room once Jarrett finally got his way in. Because he, he was like, hey, Ian, let me back in. I was good. Yeah, but the, like all the security just like parted and let, and let Ken get in. Yeah, they're like, sure, it's fine. We don't need to stop you anymore. Chaos has run wild. We, we've given up. Yes, but because uh, all of the security were locked away, uh, that let all of the heels be extra heelish and extra chaotic. And I actually enjoyed that uh, aspect of the show. Yeah, it was nice to have like a, a through line that actually connects all these stories in a way that makes some degree of sense, even though Ian Harrison came out of nowhere and Ken is just like, you're my friend, right? Stand here. Also, Ian Harrison, like, got naked in front of those guys later on because he was just in his wrestling gear for no reason. Yeah, he had to, he had to change, sure. For a match that he didn't know was happening. Yeah, he was prepared. <laughs> Maybe he had all of his gear under those jeans and tight t-shirts. Maybe he did, because obviously looking at Ian Harrison, he is Wardlow's father, so... <laughs> That's disrespectful to <laughs> he's, he's the prototype war dog. I think the war dog was produced asexually and just appeared. Yeah, like like a the prophet descending to Earth to teach us the ways of war. Yes. Jeff Jarrett, I, li- I actually like the opening segment where Bill Barons comes out and he's like, I'm going to sick security on you so bad, Jeff. <laughs> You're going to regret everything you've done because he didn't see the backstage segment. My army of security are going to come for you. Yeah, Ian Harrison locked up the security and he's like so smug. And like the announcers are like, Bill, no, Bill, before Jeff Jarrett <laughs> kills him with a chair shot. I'm glad that this is like Bill's fucked off now. <laughs> yeah, but Steamboat is back because like obviously Steamboat's gone. So they have to get authority figures such as... Jim Miller from the National Wrestling Alliance and Bill Barons. Yep. Everyone's favorite kind of authority figures. Jarrett got the better of Shamrock as well because Jarrett's a badass. Jarrett rules. (laughs) And I'm glad that he'll be beating Shamrock for the NWA title. Loki faced the debuting Amazing Red. By the way, Loki is a theme song now, so he must be happy. It's not a great theme song, but he has a theme song. It's not a great one, no. (laughs) It's better than the one he had. This is a... Pretty historic match here, uh, Red debuting, who I would always consider... Like, I know he was in Ring of Honor first, but to me, Red is a TNA guy. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting. He didn't spend that much time in TNA when you think about it, but he's also... like you, mm. You're right. You think of him as a TNA guy. Like He's a fundamentally TNA guy to me, and this is the, the debut. They do a, a way worse version of their Matrix spot from Ring of Honor here, the iconic Matrix spot. How dare you? I mean, come on. <laughs> It's, it happened in TNA Wrestling, therefore, sorry, NWTNA, therefore it is better. Garrett, curb your bias. Nobody saw it in these tiny indies, Liam. <laughs> this is the big leagues. Literally, maybe thousands of people saw it here, as opposed to in those tiny bingo halls and armories that Ring of Honor would always run. 
I'm pretty sure if I Google that clip on YouTube right now, it, has, it probably has more views than any of these NWAT. We don't use mediums invented after these shows were were, were, were aired, mm. Liam. How dare you try and, mm. try and muddy the conversation with irrelevant data points about Ring of Honor wrestling. But yeah, the match was pretty good. Red looked good. Red immediately got over because he did like a code red and the crowd were like, what the hell? Yeah, but I, I thought it was pretty... Yeah, it, was fine. It, it, was like, it was never intended to be anything but more than like a borderline competitive squash. Like, Loki was supposed to come out of here looking good and Red got a few spots in. But a good match. Key, like, amazingly over. Like, it's it's so weird. Like, I, you could even argue more over than AJ. Because, like, people are kind of, like, weirded out by AJ. I think that even there's an... Uh, it's funny because we were talking about how... AJ had this perception of a guy that they didn't get behind early on, but it's like he almost was gotten behind so much that people started to reject him. I think the the story with Lynn doesn't help. Yes, but like even before that, like when he won the tag belts, like there was some moments of ah, with AJ. So it's just it's interesting to see that like he was actually so far pushed that uh, people didn't like go completely for it. It's just a, an interesting little uh, perception versus reality. Thing. As opposed to Loki, he was super over. Yeah. Because tag teams can't like each other. Chris Harris hates James Storm. Storm in this segment was so TNA comedy. Like, b- like before TNA comedy was a thing. So you're saying Chris Harris was right to hate him? No, I, I don't even mind that. But it's like, like this is like Eric Young later on, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, he had that same kind of delivery. Where he was like this perfectly earnest cowboy. Yeah, and it's but like, and it had like the same comedic timing of like a shark boy or an Eric Young. Or the, the super Eric stuff. It just had like that kind of like... Fun TNA comedy stuff, which I appreciated. And it's like, it's funny that like Storm was really the first person to do that. And he becomes such a, a stalwart of uh, the TNA branding. Well, the, the funny part is like, that's what would make Storm like the singles guy later. But he didn't do much of it this year. They did the cowboy stuff and they eventually just like dropped it and they got together as a cool tag team. But he didn't do like the comedy stuff consistently until like 2005. You know what? Like I saw elements of in this. I saw like elements of Storm like me- meeting up with Young while Young's trying to buy condoms of JB. <laughs> yes. I saw like elements of the funeral segments, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's the kind of humor I, I saw just a, just a teeny bit from Storm here. His, his charisma started coming out. Then they shoved it back in a box for three years. And I like that Harris is like a cool edge type and he's smoking a cigarette while he's talking to James Storm about his dumb cap guns. He's above all this. He also called James Storm the best. <laughs> Which is true. He's a very good wrestler. Yeah, but the best? Yeah, he's the best wrestler, and he'd be even better if he didn't shoot his pew-pew guns. But does he know that Puppet is on these shows? That's true. He didn't take that into account. <laughs> and then, of course, we get to the match, which wasn't as good as this segment. Yeah, who cares? They beat the Hotshots in an entirely forgettable match. Again, they revealed that the Hotshots were the ones who attacked AMW on the third show, so they waited, like, three weeks to randomly tell you it was the Hotshots that jumped him. And Don West was like... This is such a big reveal. <laughs> the Hotshots attacked them. And then um, the Hotshots attacked them after the match uh, in a pretty brutal beatdown that wasn't stopped because there was no security. Yeah. Chaos, Liam. Chaos. But it's a good kind of chaos. I liked it. Yeah, speaking of chaos, Apollo defeated uh, Brian Lawler via, like, flash pin, but then Lawler attacked Don West in frustration. Chaos! As we mentioned, poor Don got a 50% pay cut because they were out of money and then he's just getting beaten up on these shows as well <laughs> I appreciate uh, Ed Ferrara rushing to Don's safety and trying to protect him from this deranged Brian Lawler wouldn't you I mean yeah I think everybody should rush to defend Don West on these shows <laughs> uh, let's get to the big segment <laughs> 
All right, so Ron Killings comes out to call out systemic racism. And he's like, racism in all of these industries, in sports, in basketball, and baseball, all of you are racist. You racially abuse all of the wrestlers. It's deeply ingrained on a systemic level across all of these industries and all of these worlds in this country. And it's like, you know what? You're right, Ron. Why are you a heel here? Before the yeah. alpha male Monty Brown comes out and he's like, shut up. Ron Killings, you know nothing about racism. You're just blaming people for your problems. I went to two Super Bowls, in which I was like a player who barely played. But shove that to the side. I like that um, Monty Brown essentially played the role of white guy on Twitter. Yeah, he's the (laughs) white avatar being like, you just can't seize the opportunity and you're blaming people for your problems. Yeah, like... This had some, like, you know, pretty intense, like, stuff in this uh, segment, too. But um, Killings, like, delivered it really well. I think, you know, some of the things that stood out was the OJ line got a massive reaction from the crowd. I like Ed Ferreira was like, yeah, I was with you until OJ. And then, uh, you know, uh, K-Crush, some of the things he said to Monty Brown got a very big reaction. Mm. I I think it's very interesting that even NWA TNA, Jerry Jarrett, Jeff Jarrett knew that they couldn't have a white guy in this spot (laughs) (laughs) because it'd be a little too on the nose to do that. This is a very, I don't know, like it's, it's one of those segments where it's like, I think it was actually pretty well done for like towing the line, Mm -hmm. but, um... You know, it's just, it's 2002. You're not going to get, like, a super nuanced storytelling, are you? And, of course, in the history of racism... Yes, in the history of racism. In the history of wrestling, the the, rest, the wrestler who's calling out racism and systemic abuse of any kind is the heel and should be booed. Yeah, but, uh... Which goes all the way through the, like, WWE with freaking Apollo Crews. It's like, I'm embracing my heritage and becoming who I'm meant to be, which uh, makes you a bad guy. Uh... <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? Come on. I think it helps that, like... The truth has like such immense charisma mm. that he like can deliver on all of this. Far and away the most charismatic guy in the show. Like Scott Hall's a charismatic guy, but he's he's doing his Scott Hall routine where he's just like cooler than everybody else. As opposed mm. to like K Crush, he's like cutting real promos. Yeah, like, these are like some like I think Killings is definitely like the highlight of these shows so far for me. Mm. It's a there's a reason he gets the big push, I suppose. AJ Styles and Jerry Lynn are back together. They're friends. And they love each other. They're just good pals now. <laughs> Because we've had a couple of weeks of Jerry Lynn just ruthlessly beating the hell out of AJ. And AJ's like, you know what? I've seen the error of my ways. Jerry's right. We're friends again. Then they do the the tag title defense in which the crowd does not give a shit about AJ Styles and Jerry Lynn. They are all into the Flying Elvises in this match. But it goes back to the problem. It's like, how are these men supposed to be likable? Who am I supposed to cheer out of these two? The, The bitter old man or the young punk who jumped up from behind? Neither of these men are likable. It's very clear that they both are supposed to be at this point, and then, like, next week, they're both not again. Mm. So this match is shockingly boring for a match between AJ Styles and Jerry Lynn and Jimmy Yang. and Because and... it was, like, 45 minutes. Yeah, it went, like, 15 minutes. And, like, in theory, you know, Baron Burner, two, two, four of the best wrestlers of the company, getting 15 minutes, that should tear the house down. But the crowd did not care. They didn't even do anything. They just sat there for 15 minutes. Yeah, it was uh, not a lot going on. Not that entertaining, but, you know, you got a little story development with uh, Lynn pulling out in the end and getting the victory while AJ is atop the rope looking aghast at the fact that Jerry Lynn got the win in the end. Yes. Yeah, so Even though he just previously admitted that Lynn has more experience and he should probably learn from him. Yeah, Lynn gets busted open and bleeds an absolute gusher. Like, it's like, Jerry, this is a random TV match. You do not need to bleed this much for this. Yeah, but wasn't it intentional? 
AJ goes up top, he's going to go for the spiral tap, but then Jerry Lynn hits a slingshot crossbody and gets a, a pin. He fights out valiantly after bleeding and perhaps nearly dying from loss of blood. But And then AJ's like, I want to hit my move and win. What the hell are you doing? Mm-hmm. That's your... You should have hit it anyway as a, like, a fuck you. Yeah, it's like, I'm going to spiral tap him no matter what. That would have made AJ cooler, to be honest. Really, Lynn is protecting AJ and his body by stopping him from doing the spiral tap every week. Yeah, what if he slipped? Disco Inferno comes out to announce the debut of his talk show, Jive uh, Talking. Uh, 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 Garrett, I hate Disco Inferno. He's just the least likable man. He's just like, I don't want to see you on my screen. Go away. In Not in a, I want to see this guy get beat up. In a, I want to fast forward his segments way. It shouldn't be X-Park heat, it should be Disco heat. Like, this guy is just terrible and awful and I don't want to see him and I'm not going to pay money to see him get beat up by the baby face it, it's just bad bad terrible shit it's like, I get upset when I see Disco's tweets on my timeline never mind like actually having to watch him on my screen and speak I, I am putting forth right now that I reserve the right to fast forward any <laughs> Disco Inferno segment you know what I'll allow it yeah <laughs> Yeah, his talk show will debut on the next pay-per-view. And that's the worst thing. This is pay-per-view. People paid 10 bucks for this. And they're being subjected to Disco Inferno. Mm-hmm. Monty and Skipper defeated the debuting uh, Simon Diamond and Johnny <laughs> the Swinger. Swingman! And, excuse me, this is straight-laced Johnny Swinger. He has not yet established an illegal gambling, <laughs> underground gambling place. Daddy! Uh, Truth attacked Monty after the match, but Skipper just like, yep, work away, I don't care. Do you think uh, Johnny Swinger would have gotten over huge if he was the swingman at this era? It feels like a character that would probably thrive in that era. Yeah, he probably like he would probably would have had a whole like career in the early to mid 2010s up to that era of TNA mm. if he had have developed the swingman character at this point, as opposed to just being a dude who wrestles. A dude who wrestles pretty good, to be fair. Yeah, like the Diamond and Swinger team, they have good matches coming down the line. You can look forward to them. They're 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 a good little tag team. Speaking of good little tag teams, the Dups, <laughs> they get into a fight with Ian Harrison. Yeah, the the truth attack again, because he's all over this show. Yeah, I mentioned that. And then Skipper's like, nah, I'm not helping. Yeah, and the the commentary was like, oh, he was in on it the whole time. I didn't get that impression at all. I just think he didn't give a shit. Yeah, I was just like, oh, you know, I'm seeing this dude attack him. I don't want to get involved. To be fair, if the if the truth is attacking someone, do you want to get in between the truth and that guy? No, it's just like, peace out. And then we get the Dups being homophobic again. Uh, as they tend to be. And also... Like, uh, terrible to Goldilocks again, I think. Was that this segment? Yes. The the pink line. <laughs> Can we just not? Can we just stop it? Oh, Goldie, man. Yeah, the match ended in a... How did that even end? No contest, wasn't it? Uh, yes, because uh, Bodub came in from commentary and beat up... Uh, they hit people with Harrison. a plank of wood, didn't they? That was this. Because they got wood, you see. Yeah. Uh, uh. uh. Uh, and also, I think uh, Stand Up thinks that uh, he's Australian. Maybe he is. Because he keeps saying, is this the guy that says cracky? <laughs> That's more of a Jim Cornette impression, but you get the point. Which brings us to our main event in which uh, Ken Shamrock and Sabu goes to a no contest in a ladder versus submission Ladder versus match. submission. When Malice came out, killed everybody and stole the title. This match sucked, by the way. This match sucked and the finish was bad too. It was just terrible. They did nothing. At least, you know, Sabu toward the end did like a big splash through a table. And it was like, all right, you redeemed yourself slightly, Sabu. But for the most part, it was more of a submission match than a ladder match. And they just did nothing. I I guess Ken just didn't want to do plunder. Mm. But 
Sabu really... Sabu should have just been throwing chairs and shit and Ken should have been, like, swatting him away with kicks. That would have been dope. Yeah, if Ken didn't want to do plunder, just... Sabu can do all the plunder and take all the bumps. But, yeah, because and he would have, like, gladly. Mm. I think it's really interesting that, on paper, this is, like, a very cool match. Yep. And it's very, like, this is... the like, NWATNA is the only place this could happen. But, uh, yeah, Sabu Shamrock, better on paper than in reality. After the match, Sabu was very upset, apparently, backstage. He threw a fit because the match was cut short. He was promised that the match would go, like, a certain length. And he wouldn't be cut off and they'd get as much time as they want. But then the referee was like, go home. And he was very mad about that. And he was complaining that Shamrock was working stiff. So, Sabu apparently had a bit of a meltdown. And they were considering about never bringing Sabu back. One of, like, four stars that you have on the roster. I, I love this era of wrestling, by the way, where there's just all this gossip and drama. <laughs> You don't get that anymore. We need more of that. We need more drama. Like, everyone's too nice now. I think there's, like... We need to get rid of this family atmosphere backstage. We need more cutthroat. AEW's ruined the business with this, like, happy-go-lucky, everyone's just having a good time being here, and there's no backstabbing anymore. Bring it back. The most popular person in that main event, by the way, was the ladder, in which the crowd wanted the ladder involved, because they were just doing arm bars. Yeah. I mean, you have a Sabu match. You gotta deliver on the Sabu aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Which brings us to the final show in these five marathon shows we have to cover this week. It's a big show. <laughs> Which is the one you wanted to talk about most. The July 31st from the Nashville fairgrounds with 550 people in attendance. This uh, took place uh, just after my fifth birthday. Oh, well, happy birthday. This was your... The, the AJ Styles against Elix Skipper match was obviously your birthday present. Yes, obviously. Uh, I was a young... As a young boy, I was sitting there just hoping that a puppet would start shooting <laughs> and he did but let's start about skipper a style defeated skipper to retain the title after the match monty attacked skipper this was boring it was a perfectly fine match that you'll never remember anything about in your life. i'll remember one thing about it what will you remember that skipper almost fucking died oh yeah he, he does the like run up the ropes to do a moonsault and aj styles drop kicks the ropes and he just like falls like split like moonsaults on the ropes but then just lands on his head yeah he, uh, he drop kicks near the ropes sure he more or less missed but the, 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 don't let the fast get in the way of a good death I got a Monty Brown, who was very angry. So yeah, Monty is blaming Skipper for truth attacking, I guess. So that's where we're going in that direction. This is, this is the, the theory of like TNA. It's like, it's never just one guy that you have a problem with. You gotta fight like 12 guys. Mm. And Jeff Jarrett hits them all with chairs and wins. Dope. Speaking of Jeff, he's come, he comes to the ring carrying a sack. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, he fucking does. So he's cutting his promo like as usual, like, I'm a badass, I want my title shot, give me my title shot, I'm Jeff Jarrett, blah 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 And then he opens the sack. He has old mate Stone in the sack. With the line, which is like, this line killed me because of Jeff's delivery. Mm. He said, I'm gonna cripple a midget live on pay-per-view. <laughs> and the crowd was like, yeah! <laughs> yeah, you are, Jeff! And then Puppet comes out to confront Jeff Jarrett about this. Because it's gimmick infringement. He's the only one that can kill a midget live on pay-per-view. To which, of course, Jeff uh, <laughs> Jeff delivers the line of stand up when you're talking to me. It's very rude. And Puppet responds by evening the odds. <laughs> with a motherfucking gat. <laughs> which gets, like, no reaction. Puppet pulls a gun on Jeff Jarrett and the crowd is just like, eh. And, like, Jarrett sells it amazingly because he's like, what the fuck? <laughs> but, like, yeah, the crowd... Doesn't give a shit. Uh, security's back, of course, now. So they all get in the ring and they're, and they're all like cowering from the gun as puppets <laughs> waving it around before Jarrett saves the day <laughs> by killing him with a chair shot. And then for some reason, Elix Skipper is still in the ring mm-hmm. and takes another chair shot to the back as well. 
You know, they say that the, the, well, dumb people say, the way to take down a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. <laughs> the real way to take out a bad guy with a gun is Jeff Jarrett with a steel chair. Ha <laughs> <laughs> Ain't I great? Uh, I love, like, like, through the history of the six shows so far we've watched, we're on to the seventh. There is two people who have been presented as the biggest badass in TNA history. And they were both in this fucking segment. <laughs> there's Jeff Jarrett and there's Puppet. And I believe Puppet demonstrably proved his toughness over Jarrett by pulling a gun on him. So Puppet is officially the biggest badass in TNA history. Jeff Jarrett had to attack Puppet from behind. A coward. I hope this leads to a big Puppet-Jeff Jarrett match, but I have a small inkling that it's not going to happen. <laughs> after the match, Steamboat came out, laid down Law and Order, got into it with Jeff Jarrett. Yeah, yeah. after the gun segment. <laughs> Steamboat. I like the way this is the show that's supposed to be like, everything's back to normal, where we have all the security in place. Ricky Steamboat's here to bring order. And, and, and It starts with an attack and a gun. Yeah, respectability, and then Puppet pulls a gun in the second segment. Yeah. Uh, so was there any, like, negative, like, uh, reaction due to this? Or, like, were we so far past Pillman pulling a gun that this thing just didn't matter anymore? We were so far past Pillman pulling a gun that this thing didn't matter anymore. And it was pay-per-view, I suppose. You could watch people getting railed on pay-per-view, and it was fine. So I think pulling a fake gun is probably all right. And, like, it's, it's weird that this moment has kind of, like, disappeared from the public consciousness of weird TNA shit. I don't think it has, because this moment is embedded in my brain. But yeah, you just watch it and it will never leave. But like, when people mention the dumb things that happened in TNA history, you never hear them bring up Puppet pulling a gun anymore. And it's brilliant. Uh, I have this in my head for like a long time, obviously. And the the image of Puppet pulling it and holding it to the sky and then it cuts to Jared who goes, oh, that's like embedded in my brain and has been for years. Uh, clearly you are a true TNA fan as opposed to other people who've forgotten all of TNA's greatest moments. Mm. And posted this at the Impact Twitter once there, so I was like, maybe I should. You definitely should. Because it was like building up to the return to the asylum. It's like, great asylum moments. Puppet's got a gun. <laughs> I wish you did. Oh, sl- and then you post the dups and you post. The Slash defeated Sonny Siaki. Yeah. Um, I googled what an owl dad was. It's a goat. It's a goat. There you go. He's the it's goat. It's a mountain goat from Africa. I do like they never explain what an owl dad was. It's like, it's the blood of an owl dad. It's... Because James Mitchell said, uh, go Google it. <laughs> so I did. Yeah. I guess it's more of a sheep than a goat. Yeah. I, I love the the um, the line from Ed Ferrara where it's like, I, it was is the our dad from Pro Wrestling Noah or Old Japan? Because <laughs> that's the only way that the professor knows about it. Uh, he's not into his geography. He hasn't watched his Attenborough documentaries. Yeah. He only watches his Noah tapes. Before this, by the way, we get a wonderful segment with Siaki and Goldilocks where we're reminded about consent. Mm-hmm. Please ask, please ask for consent, guys. Yeah. Especially Goddy Looks, who, to her credit, took it on stride and learned from her mistakes. Because mm. <laughs> she's the one reasonable character on this entire show. She's too used to people uh, neglecting her consent. So. Yes. And uh, everything about it was like, Siaki's like, I saw you looking at Sunny Siaki's ass. And then she was like, yeah, I was. Mm. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, I'm devastated that Slash beat Siaki. I was I'm I'm really into Sonic Siaki, and he was he was just defeated, like a bum. Yeah, it felt like a weird result, didn't it? Because I would I would have thought the more natural result is 
Slash loses, but then they jump him after the match and then cover him in blood. I guess they didn't want every match to have jumping in it on this show. Sure. Which it would have otherwise, because every other match ended with interference. As I now look up and down the card, you are... Actually, no, Skipper and Styles is clean, but everything else was, yeah. Monty attacked Skipper immediately after the match. Yeah, but that's after the match. Yeah, but I'm saying, like, there's there's an attack after every match. But there was an attack after this one, too. They painted him in blood. Ah, yeah, true. This sucks. Anyway... Truth went up to one of the dancing TNA girls. <laughs> oh, this is so bad. I don't appreciate... Okay, I, I am siding with the truth in a lot of ways. I will not stand for his uh, demeaning of sex workers. Well, you see, there's, there's a moment where he might be right. You know, the very start where he walks up and it's like, this company is just making you show off yourself for these idiot men. I'm like, yeah, you tell him truth. You speak truth. And it's like, you're terrible. You're never going to achieve your dreams. You just tell yourself you're a dancer. It's like, oh, no, truth. You had some decent moral ground there at the start. I don't know if you do. I think, you know, if she wants to make her money, she can make her money however she chooses. Mm. So you're you're now pro-dancing TNAK. Yeah, if they're getting paid, sure. (laughs) Why not? Make that money. Truth is all over this fucking show. Because mm. Monty comes out, attacks, they do a big brawl, they go to the back, and then he's just out in the exact next segment. Yeah, that's very weird. Because, yeah, as you said, Monty comes out, they brawl to the back, they start to move on, Steamboat comes out, and he's like, I'm calling out Truth. And I guess the brawl was over, because he does just come straight back out. Yeah. This is actually a pretty good segment, I thought. And I, I do want to give credit to um, Truth. His delivery of, like, her perspective mm. was really funny. At, at the very least, now he's he's a guy you should be booing. Yeah, exactly, right? As opposed to the guy who's calling out systemic racism, and you're just supposed to boo him because of that. And then he becomes a babyface in the next segment. Well, yeah, he, he, he goes face-to-face with Steamboat, and he's like, Ricky, you were also a victim of this. Yeah, you achieved success in WCW. But when you went to the WWF, you only ever won the mid-card belt. And you know what the mid-card yeah. belt is, Ricky. It's for people like us. People they want to hold mm. down. People that they won't want to give the big opportunities to. And Ricky's like, you know what? You're right. Yeah, I'm going to give you the shot. And it feels like this would have been the perfect place to like start pivoting truth as a face. Mm. But then like he immediately does a rap about, like, fuck you, fans. I'm, I'm going to win. Yeah, so that sets up Ken Shamrock against Truth for our NWA World Title Match next week, which, of course, we'll cover in two weeks on the podcast. The biggest injustice of all. What's your biggest injustice of all? Apollo defeating Malice. Oh, God, yeah, it's the worst thing. I literally wrote in the notes, bullshit. How dare Malice? Especially, like, if you're going to have one of the new church lose on this show, it's Slash. Yeah. But um, we'll give Apollo credit. Hell of a super kick on the kid. He does, and he does, like, the, he has it, like, set up in that way where he does, like, the pause before he does it, which adds, like, that extra bit of oomph and emphasis, which makes it look great. Great sound on it, too. Mm. After the match, uh, the new church got mad at one of the Harrises. I think it was Don. I don't remember. Yeah, Do- Don is the only one on this show. Oh, yeah, Ron isn't around yet. And they, they all doubted him, too. This is the really the beginning of the big push of Herr Don Harris. <laughs> mm. <laughs> it's, 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 it's like... It's really funny because, like, I do think that Don Harris' character on this show is pretty cool, but he's also a Nazi. So, yes. So, so like, every time I see him, I just think, oh, that guy's a Nazi. <laughs> allegedly. I don't know if I have to say that, but allegedly, just in case. You know? With these big uh, SS tattoos on his arm. Allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> just covering us, just in case, you know? The weird thing is, this show is meant to be like back to law and order, and you have the new church like spreading sheep blood on people's heads and puppet pulling a gun. It's like, hmm, maybe security's just incompetent. But that's why they brought Big Don Harrison, you know? Ah, uh, he's meant to be the heavy, but then he gets his ass kicked too. Yeah, but he he brings it back at the end. Hmm. 
So Bruce defeated Taylor Vaughn to become Miss TNA. This was a segment. It was a segment that existed, yes. I, I assume this is Taylor Vaughn's write-off. <laughs> I'm surprised she's still around this late, honestly. No, she isn't. This is the first time she's been back since she lost the last match. Well, no, she she won the crown, and then she had a match against Francine, and now she's back. So she's been on, like, three out of seven, so that's not bad. But that was, like, the third episode, or the second episode, and now the seventh. Like, she was clearly coming in here to do this angle, and now she's gonna fuck off. To drop what is the TNA equivalent of the women's title. <laughs> To a man. Yeah, I gave a, gave a big uh, quarter start of this match because Bruce did a cool spinny thing. <laughs> well done. Congratulations to Bruce for his quarter star. I also like that Bruce was like, yeah, the truth, I agree with you, and then was racist. <laughs> mm. uh, AJ Styles and Loki went to a, I think a DQ technically when Styles kicked Lynn. No, no, this is bullshit. Okay. All right. This was thrown out. This match was a no contest, despite the fact that um, Styles only kicked Lynn. There should have just been a DQ, and Loki should and Lynn should have won. But no, it was a fucking no contest because they want to set up a triple threat. In theory, shouldn't from a story perspective, the DQ should have made more sense because like, oh, he attacked Lynn, so Lynn would win by DQ because he thought Lynn was going to lose. I don't think I don't know. If this was meant to be Styles kicking Lynn, mm-hmm. or if he thought, like, the, the angle was supposed to be he was thinking that Key was going to come in and he was going to hit Key because he thought Lynn was about to lose. Mm. So I, I I don't know what the goal here was, but it clearly ended up being with the, the Lynn style stuff. Yeah, the goal was a triple threat no matter how they got there. Yes, and even though this definitely should not have been a DQ, has been a no contest, it should have been a DQ. So uh, Harris versus Mala's first blood was set up for next week as well. Mm-hmm. See, this makes more sense, Liam. They're shooting angles for matches on the next show. Logical. They worked it out. Yeah, but it <laughs> sucks, though. So. Not good matches, but... Uh, Goldilocks was the oh, guest on the first edition of segment. Jive Talking, in which Ganga Birdie tried to demean Goldilocks, and Goldilocks was like, nah, fuck you. I'm not putting up with this. There was actually a moment where like someone in the crowd tried to say something to Goldie, and Goldie just turned to him and was like, shut up. <laughs> it's like putting people in their place. It starts with Disco calling her a dumb bitch. And she's like, wait a minute, you just call me a dumb bitch. And he's like, I didn't call you a dumb bitch. I didn't call you a dumb bitch. <laughs> and then... It goes, it is, it's like he feigns interest and then gets up and goes, all right, so get your tits out. <sighs> it's, this is the worst stuff that, that that's happened. Like, you know, there's been a lot of racism, a lot of homophobia, but this is just avert, avert, complete and utter sexism that gets a positive reaction from the crowd because the crowd's in on it and they fucking are like, yeah, let's go. The lows of this show are so low, huh? They're through the floor. I, and like, at least they're doing it with Goldie because she can like handle herself mm. like she's the one character on here who actually would just say fuck you <laughs> but like jesus christ this is some of the lowest of the low and consistently so as like the presentation of women just top to bottom on these shows it's just so bad this is truly a a problematic company yeah unproblematically though don west they cut to him at the announce desk and they're like don's gonna I tell you what's him. coming up next week and Don, in his, his red silk shirt, just cuts a two-minute promo about how you're going to see AJ Styles against Loki against Jerry Lynn, and it's going to be the best match you're ever going to see in your life. First blood, they're going to tear each other to shreds. There's even a moment where he calls Ricky Steamboat, Ricky the Steamboat Dragon, which is quite amusing. Yeah. And Mike Tanay and Ed Ferrara are like, ah. I work, go with it. But he's like, truth, will he walk the walk? It's going to be the best thing you're ever going to see in your life. And I'm like, yes. Thank you, Don West. I, I need to see this show. And he, he he pitched this show so well that he got a standing ovation from the crowd when he was finished. 
I also love that um, uh, Mike Janay could tell he was on a roll. Mm. So when he started to peter off, he was like, and what else do you have to say? And Wes was like, I'm back in, baby. Second wind. <laughs> like he was ready. He was wrapping it up. And today's like, no, this is gold. You got to keep going. It's so good. Don, I love Don with all my heart. He's like just so good on these shows. And he's, he's getting better too with the like not pointing out the flaws of the match stuff. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, which was always going to happen with time. And then he closed it all by, you know, welcoming us to NWA WWE pay <laughs> Jeff Jarrett defeated Scott Hall at our main event. This, okay, so this was like a mess, uh-huh. but in like one of those good ways. Yeah, this was one of those total chaos matches, but actually quite enjoyable. Even though I've gone a full half star higher than you have, but still. Yeah, but I, I had a lot of fun with this and I loved all the interference. Every match from, uh... The next set of shows was happening on. It all made sense with the exclusion of the Jerry Lynn one, which was a little forced. The Jerry Lynn interference was a little forced, but the rest of it all made sense. Mm. AJ coming out, AJ on the top rope doing it, Don coming out because he is the head of security. He's trying to stop this shit, which led into the malice stuff, which led into the big finish. Yeah, it all made sense. It was a good chaotic ending to the show and uh, Hole obviously did not lose uh, clean. (laughs) And yeah, like I don't mind interference in matches that I don't have high hope for. High hopes for anyway. You know, it's not like oh you've ruined this Scott Hall Jeff Jarrett match. I was so looking forward to. It's like yeah yeah do your nonsense. I don't care enough. You'd probably be a little more upset maybe if you were paying the ten bucks a, a week. But and as, as we will come to discover, it becomes a lot more galling when it happens over and over and over and over again. But that is our our, our coverage of July 2002. A weird month in which you can kind of like see the company work itself out in ways that are like X Division good. Lots of sexism. Good, apparently. Good. Um, <laughs> Racism. Good. G- good? Racism bad, but the guy who's saying it is also bad. So racism good? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's it's an interesting month if you'd like our star ratings if yeah if you'd like to listen to our watch along at pay number four you can subscribe or become our patron at, at patreon.com slash kidding me legitimately just like i think like you wouldn't think that the star ratings would be like as funny as they are but they are worth checking out especially if you're already subscribed go have a look at them because you'll never see as many twos and duds and minus fives and zeros on a show that we talk mostly positive about yeah it's like we've largely enjoyed this except the elements of which are problematic but also the matches aren't good so yeah so i think like on these shows that we just said a lot of good things about right there's like six duds and ones and point fives and minus fives and one match above four, I think, in the entire time. Yeah. And you're always going lower than me. You're subtweeting me with your stars. Well, that's because you're clearly biased. Except your love of the Siaki and Slash match, which you're obviously ahead of me on. Yeah. I thought that match was a lot of fun. We'll be back in two weeks with coverage of August 2002. That'll be on July 17th. You can follow us on Twitter at TNA History Pod. As we said, you can subscribe to our Patreon where you can get watch alongs. You can get a second series covering the 2010 Monday Night Wars. You can get our star ratings. You can get our written reviews of each show. And you can get our show notes. That's patreon.com slash kidding me. Support us there. Follow me on Twitter at Garrett Kidney, G A R E T T K I D N E Y. Follow Liam on Twitter at The Gleet Muta. I think it's The Gleet Muta now. Well, there you go. <laughs> Thanks for listening. And we'll see you in two weeks. Go check out the watch-alongs. They're a lot of fun and I love doing them and they might be my favorite thing we've ever done podcasting-wise. Goodbye.